Welcome to the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Trish. And this is our podcast. Uh, We talk about wrestling news and various topics from different promotions, primarily AEW, but also New Japan Pro Wrestling, WWE, and topics from around the wrestling world. The things we find interesting, and we hope you enjoy them as well. Uh, We are recording today on October 29th, 2023, and let's just get into it. Our first topic of today is uh, Will Ospreay and his potential upcoming free agency. Uh, Trish, I know how much you love this word, so I'm considering calling this segment Bruv Watch 2023. <laughs> this is not a good way to start. <laughs> Just you like want to do it again? No, 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 no. Just like immediately antagonize me. <laughs> Bruv Watch 23. Okay, right. So, Will Ospreay has been uh, his free agency. What is his contract up, Trish? Is it January of 24? Uh, end of January, yeah. End of January. Thirty first of January is always the same for New Japan, yeah. Yeah. So Will Asprey has been someone who um, his free agency has sort of been assumed. It's been expected that he's not going to stay with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, this being a big problem for a lot of their uh, non-Japanese talent, the strength of the yen and the amount of money that they can pay and their overall business outlook, which we will probably tackle in another episode, but. Um, the expectation is that Osprey is going to leave New Japan and go to either AEW or WWE. Um, although Impact threw their hat in the ring this week, but <laughs> you never know. Stranger things have happened in wrestling this year. Um, but a lot of folks have sort of default assumed that Osprey will end up in AEW for a couple reasons. Uh, the first of which being he made it pretty public for a while that he did not want to move out of the UK. He wanted to stay there. And that would be an issue for WWE. They would not want, they would not basically not allow that. Um, and he also talked a lot about his love for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And um, going to WWE, he obviously wouldn't be able to continue to work with them. He, that's something he'd be able to do with AEW. So, you know, and Osprey's been a fixture in AEW since before the first Forbidden Door. Um, He had a giant singles match at All In this year with Chris Jericho, um, and he got a tattoo about it, which, you know, (laughs) turned out to be incorrect based on the number of the audience, but that's a story for another time. Um, So this sort of default assumption that he would be going to AEW was shaken this week uh, when Osprey gave an interview to Metro.co.uk on October 23rd, where he indicated that he's open to the idea of stretching himself out a little bit more, um, and he's had a lot of talks about this with his friends and, as he said, the missus, um, and that he is now open to the idea of relocating to the United States. Um, this is kind of interesting. He also talked about Seth Rollins as a potential opponent. And the news also came out this week that uh, Osprey has hired Barry Bloom as his agent. Barry Bloom recently represented the Young Bucks and Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega. He's the agent for Chris Jericho. He has, as Dave Meltzer said, he has a lot of folks in AEW that he represents, but he has represented uh, WWE folks too, including, I think, Triple H. So so that's what kick us off today on the uh, Will Ospreay. What were your thoughts about this development this week, Trish? Osprey is a really interesting character because a lot of people, they just think he's like Kenny Omega, right? So yes, he's a fantastic, fantastic in-ring wrestler. But is he the draw that Kenny Omega was in 2018? And the answer is no. So for all his successes, you know, you add Osprey to a card in the US or in the UK, it's not like an instant sellout. So in terms of 
instant business. He's probably more very much on the kind of the Jay White level or the Hangman level in terms of when they signed with AEW. And for WWE, ironically, thinking about this, he's probably far more similar to AJ Styles, who left New Japan in 2016. I think the interesting things are, is you look at the potential signing spots for him, and both would mean him working a lot less. I yes. think that, you know, there's this this thing that they think that if he goes to AEW, he's going to probably still wrestle, you know, 70, 80 matches a year. He's going to wrestle New Japan. He's going to wrestle everywhere. He's probably not. You know, you look at the top people in AEW and they wrestle 20 matches a year, 25 matches a year. I think MJF just had his 20th match. Brian Danielson has wrestled 19. Hangman has wrestled under 20. Um, Kenny has. So the, the likelihood, and some of that's just a way of TV and right. the fact that they don't really run house shows. But he's not going to be wrestling as regularly, which will be better for his body in the most part. But he's probably not going to get the same level of exposure as he is as being the top guy outside of these two companies. Right. So you're really going to make your money now, make as much as you possibly can do. And he is the biggest free agent next year. Absolutely. Um, I don't think, is there anybody left that thinks that MJF isn't signed? I don't know. I, I, to me, it seems like it's, it's a no brainer that he's signed. I, I would be, I would be genuinely shocked if he comes out as a free agent in 2024. It would be like complete mismanagement, wouldn't it? Like it would be just... insane malpractice, insane business malpractice. Yeah. Cause it's like, you've literally invested more into this guy than anybody else in the company. If you look yeah. through the four years, all the way through from the start with the Cody program, um, all the pillar programs, the Jericho stuff against the Bucks, and then with Jericho himself, the Punk stuff, them bringing him back, and all of obviously this huge title reign. There is no one else in AEW that's had more investment in him. So the idea that they would do that, and you know, nobody does that practically. And I know everyone says, "Oh, you know, John Boxley was working about a contract." He's a slightly different kind of guy. Yeah, that that's the risk there is different. But I have no belief that they would do this with MJF. So I, I do believe that Osprey is the the kind of top guy. And the reason why I think WWE is so interested, you know, is they've spoken about the change in their philosophy. And this comes with, I think, the new ownership as well. But their whole thing now is they're not looking for older guys. They're not looking for guys to bring in, you know, back or bring back in a way that they used to with Hogan or bring back, you know, and you know, they still use, you know, people like The Rock and John Cena from time to time because they are huge draws. Yes. You know, you've only got to look at what we did, you know, last time around with the NXT episode to see how much difference John Cena made to that. But you are looking at remote, kind of replacing guys who are slightly older with guys with who are younger and with more upside. They want to be seen as the youthful brand. They yes. literally, are, they are happy to palm people off, you know, to lose people like Edge to AEW, to fill up that kind of thing, to make AEW feel older, and they want to take the younger talent. So ironically, you know, and I, I compared him to AJ Styles, he could go in there, have one program of AJ, and AJ might be the guy that falls away for him. Right. You know, you pay him to like that, well, you don't need AJ, you've got pretty much very similar, you can market him in similar ways, merchandise him in similar ways, but he's got 10 years. AJ is pretty broken down now, still gets a good reaction, but isn't going to move business as much. So this is the kind of trend that you're going to see more of. So they are going to be so much more aggressive with younger free agents or younger people in AEW who may have hit a ceiling than they are going to be retaining people 
who are 40 to 50, but not huge business movers. And that's the way their business is progressing. And then, you know, there's the thing about NXT Europe. So I know everyone's kind of said, oh, it's not going to happen. Well, they're running two shows in Europe next year. Yes. Already. Yes. Two, two PLEs. So Backlash looks like it's going to be in Paris. And then you've got in August, you've got Bash in Berlin a week, a week after all in. Yeah. Um, competition, huh? You know, <laughs> um, they're normal tactics. So, but if there is an NXT Europe, will it be structured the same way as NXT UK? Are they going to stick everybody in one warehouse and be done with it? I'm not sure. I think the likelihood is, is that it may be something to do with kind of more branding in that area or running certain shows in that area than having some sort of training school or academy. And if you do that, you can have him absolutely as a figurehead. And you could still use him on your other shows. It's... Oh, sure. It's it's one of them because he's always said that he wouldn't want to go there, but obviously he's been doing these kind of things with Seth Rollins. He's kind of got that interest there. He is so he is established in AEW. But then also you've got to look at are they looking at the people that each company has signed or re-signed in the last couple of years? Right. You know, are you is he looking at Cody Rhodes and saying, right. okay, Cody got this fresh load of paint. He got marketed in this way. He now sells more merchandise than anyone else in the company. You know, he's taking on additional workload. He's a huge amount of house shows. But he is a much bigger star now than he was in AEW. Is that important to him? If it is, and it opens up other avenues as well, then, you know, you'd say, okay, it is worth him looking at. And even a Seth Rollins, you know, Seth Rollins is a much bigger star than most people on the AEW roster because the opportunities are there. He can be in films, he can do this, he can do that. And Rollins is kind of a key guy in that way because it illustrates what a guy like Will Ospreay will probably have as his ceiling, but also as the thing that he would aspire to. Right. So he's not going to be booked like a Roman Reigns. No. He's not. Then he probably isn't an AEW either. You know, so it's it's one of them things that they have these set guys and these are their focus guys. Then you find your role within this company. And then with AEW, you know, he's got so much history there. He got there's so many big events, there's so many connections, and you know he could fly back and forth in the pack routine if he doesn't want to move. And they will pay big money for him. Yes, they pay big money for Lee. They pay big money for Roosh. Um, they pay big money for Jay White. You can argue, have any of these guys been used well since? Or, and that's probably something that, you know, let AW down a little bit. You know, Dragon Ling and Cody, particularly the last couple of years of acquisitions, have probably achieved more than how these other guys have been used. So you've got lots of things to look at, but he knows that Tony loves him. <laughs> well, I think one of the things I find fascinating about that when you talk about how AEW views him in comparison to like Jay White or somebody else, I think you could argue that the way that two guys have been presented on AEW TV. Osprey has been consistently shown as a bigger deal than Jay White. Even when Jay White was the IWGP champion, I feel like Osprey was presented as, and some of that is a function of the fact that like the first Forbidden Door, I think arguably Osprey and Orange Cassidy had the match of the match of the night. And some of that's because of Adam Cole's head injury, the fact that it was a four-way and not a singles match. But <clears throat> 
I feel like of anybody who has been brought in, Osprey has been consistently presented as a top tier number one main guy in AEW. Is that because that's how Tony views him? Or is that because that's how New Japan views him and that they want to respect what New Japan is doing with their talent? That's the part that's like a great unknown. Because you have a good point. Like, the way that AEW has presented their most recent re-signings and signings versus the way WWE has, there's there's a there's a gap and it's widening. It's not getting any narrow narrower. And we'll, I think we're going to talk touch on that a little bit more later. But sure. it's a big part of that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They they've presented him stronger than half of their own talent. Yeah, uh, is, you know, especially when you look at Wembley. Yeah. Um, you know, you get one of the key singles matches on the show. And I do think it's more about how AEW viewing the New Japan. If you look at how New Japan have presented in the last couple of years, they could have used him far stronger since he, you know, he was the champion in early 2021. And then there was a thing with COVID, the same thing that saw Jay kind of come away from the Japanese events and work predominantly in America for a year. But they didn't go back to him. They went back to Jay White, and Jay White's contract was up far earlier. You know, he yeah. was a champion at Dominion in, in 2022 and then to going into Forbidden Door. They didn't go back to Osprey. They didn't go no. back to him for winning a G1. They didn't put him in the main event. And yes, they did the thing with Kenny Omega, and that was huge because that was their huge kind of global main event as opposed to the Akada Jay White main event in Japan. They were given equal billing in Japan, or Akada slightly higher because of the Inoki thing. But... They never looked to Osprey again as to be the top guy and to be the top drawing guy. They went to Sonada, right? right. Which everybody right. hates. And but you know, Sonada, Lij sells tickets, sells merch. You know, has it worked out? Probably not. But they chose to go to Sonada before they chose to go to Osprey. So I don't think it's New Japan driven. Do you think? Because I know you had said in terms of Osprey's drawing power. Do you think oh. that's part of why New Japan sort of passed over him, or do you think it was just for creative? reasons i think it's probably a little bit of both they they probably thought they weren't going to rec- kind of keep hold of him yeah and that makes sense you know because yeah you mentioned it at the very start that the yen is a real struggle for them at the moment and that means that trying to offer the amount of money that aw and WWE are going to offer is just it's just not going to happen and when you get somebody like barry bloom as an agent it tells you it's not going to happen you know, right. a, half the guys in AEW are more money than Akada. <laughs> it's like there is not huge money in New Japan in general. Uh, no. And that was the reason why when Kenny was making decisions back in 2018, it was brought up quite a lot. You know, there is a limit here on what I can earn. And that's yeah. even less now for a foreign talent um, because of the change in the currency. So they evidently knew they were never going to keep him. It's difficult. I mean, he's. I just. I wouldn't have done anyway. I don't think. I, I think they used him well in what they did use him for with yeah. the U.S. Championship. It will be good if he can elevate. You know, hopefully they go with Shotter at the end of the month. But their thing is transitioning now away from that. So they are transitioning away from trying to create these kind of big global stars to kind of Southeast Asia expansion within that local yep. market, and then bringing their other guys through. So you know they've got. Renarita, Yotasuji, who will probably be a big guy next year. Naito gets yeah. out. I think that's one kind of to watch. Um, you know, Yuri Umura, you've then got, you know, possibly picking up Katsuko Nakajima. 
which um, yeah. would make me very happy. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. But yeah, it makes much more sense for their strategy to do that than to go with Osprey, who is already over as this guy that has all matches. The thing about Kenny Omega is he was he's an albatross, right? People will look back in 20 years and realize just how big of a draw he was before he walked into AEW. You know, this is a, this is a guy adding 3,000 people to Ring of Honor shows. You know, the biggest Ring of Honor attendance is still him and Cody Rhodes in New Orleans, no matter how much, you know, kind of influence AEW should have and how much more reach they should have. Yeah. It's still that show. You know, the, the shows for New Japan in America in 2018 are still their biggest shows. 2018, quarter three, quarter four, still New Japan's biggest ever quarters in that part of the year. You know, he's, he's different. He's not the same. So it's maybe unfair to compel Osprey and expect his drawing power to be on the level of somebody like Kenny Omega, but that does affect his value as well. And maybe his sure. value is driven up because everybody wants him and because of the image and the perception of being able to pick up guys like that. Um, well, it's like it's like sports in a way, right? You know, you're, if you're a free agent in a year with a lot of free agents, your value comes down a little bit. If you're a free agent and you're the only big one out there – you're going to get a bigger payday. And I think that is a little bit of the case for Osprey. Both AEW and WWE at this point, I think, want to win the perception war that they are the place where people want to go, right? And WWE, I think, has made that much more of a big deal recently um, than it has been for them in the last, you know, in the Vince McMahon era of the 2010s, I guess would be the way to describe it. Um, Like, that's a big priority for them right now. And I think they would probably view getting Osprey is like a major coup. Like you said, they want to get younger. Dave point, Dave, uh, Dave talked about this on war on Friday night. Um, WWE believe that they are going to be the young hot promotion and AEW is going to hire a bunch of their cast off. That's what WWE sees as the future. Um, which is fascinating, uh, for a lot of reasons, but you know, and there's some stuff going on with a, with WWE right now that, I think we should touch on, but before we do that, I want to see if we're missing anything else with Osprey before I get into this topic. I don't really think so. You know, he's he's the guy, the free agent with potential next year. So there are other right. high name free agents. So, you know, AJ Styles was supposed to be due up in the spring, and then obviously plus injury time. Becky Lynch is probably the biggest name potentially yes. available. Um, biggest drawing name has just had a big NXT run in terms of validating her own numbers and her own drawing power. Couldn't have worked out any better for her, honestly. Uh, that's probably the biggest name. But in terms of potential and someone that you can shape and that you can promote uh, and having that kind of freshness from coming from outside, yeah, he, he's by far the biggest name available next year. And it will be interesting. It will tell us a lot about perception of each company from the wrestler perspective as well. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah, so the one interesting, I don't want to say quirk in this a little bit, has been uh, some of the discussion about what's going on with WWE right now as how it is impacted by Endeavor, right? So just as a recap for folks who are trying to do the Cliff Notes version, Endeavor is a company that covers a lot of different media 
you know, they're started as a uh, talent management agency run by Ari Emanuel, and they've tried to diversify and become essentially a media content company in the last couple of years. They went public in 2001. They bought UFC. They put themselves in tremendous debt to buy UFC, um, and then was part of the reason why they was discussed that Endeavor was not going to buy WWE because they had a tremendous load, debt load already. Um, they ended up merging with WWE, and now Endeavor owns 21 per 51%, excuse me, 51% of T. KO, which is the WWE UFC merged public company. Endeavor itself is a publicly owned company. It's publicly traded. Um, but 71% of the voting shares of Endeavor are owned by a company called Silver Lake, which is a private equity firm. Um, and they announced on Thursday, so Endeavor on Wednesday has had some issues with the fact that their stock prices dropped. CAA, which is Endeavor's biggest um, rival, just had a giant um, purchase Potential. I, their their stock price went crazy. Ari Emanuel was not happy about this. And Endeavor announced on Wednesday that they were considering strategic alternatives, which is code for possibly going back to being private again. And then Silver Lake, which owns 71% of them, said on Thursday that they're, they straight out said we want to possibly take Endeavor private. Um, this is a big deal in that it would mean that there's a possibility that a private equity firm um, would own the majority of WWE, and that certainly could have an impact on how the companies run in terms of what they're willing to pay for um, talent, what they're willing to pay for, um, you know, the expectations for them as a media company. There's a lot to this. Um, and it's still really shaky right now. And I think from a business news perspective, people aren't quite sure where it's going to go. But it's the one thing that could really put a um, spanner in the works of uh, WWE, you know, domination of the free agent market and in terms of what they're, who they're willing to pay and what, right? Um, so it's kind of something to keep an eye on and something that's been sort of a little bit under the radar. WrestleNomics has been covering this, but it's, it's one of those things that's coming that I think could be a big issue for WWE in the next year or so. What I thought was really interesting with this was, you know, when Dave covered this at the weekend, he talked more about kind of the issues in terms of AEW and their potential kind of variables with the TV deal than yeah. this particular issue. And yet this, you know, I may say that this won't have a huge effect, but private equity firms like profit. And yeah. that tends to mean streamlining. So there is definitely reasons for them to do it. So you are looking at debts that is accruing massive repayments over time. Yeah. You know, it increases their, their rate of repayment and their interest rate is going up yearly. So they need to drive more profit to service that debt. And that's always been the case, but then that affects the share price. And, you know, the share prices have reacted quite well to this because the idea is, is that if they do go private, the shares will be sold back to, well, sold back to them at a higher price. So right. if you buy them shares now, you're going to, you know, at that price, you're going to receive far more on that when that, if that takes place. Will it affect TKO? TKO are going to stay public. So yes. Yes. they do stay public. Uh, but it does mean that Endeavor wouldn't be, and their share price wouldn't be as harmed, well, they wouldn't have a share price, so it wouldn't be as harmed by things like the SmackDown deal right. or things like, you know, upcoming deals. You know, what's the deal going to be for Raw? Is that going to be disappointing? Right. Looking at the other deals going on as of late, you know, like with NASCAR and other things, probably, you know. What's the deal going to be for UFC going forward with ESPN Plus? What's the deal going to be with Peacock, which is still accumulating 
additional viewership, but not profit. So these deals are all kind of volatile. So there's no guarantee that they're going to get better. And that is all going to serve as a share price. You know, we're seeing other things already that they're going to do to kind of mitigate this. We're seeing, you know, we, we I spoke earlier about the Paris and Berlin events. Yeah. They look like they're state-sponsored events. You know, there's probably not going to be one big WWE event going forward that's not going to be paid for by the place holding it. Right. Um, maybe if they run London. But if they run London, they're going to run London at huge, huge pricing to kind of mitigate that. So that's one bit. The other bit is talent. So, yeah, if they've got a guy that you can bring in, even, you know, through the NXT warehouse and, you know, you have Dolph Ziggler. You get rid of Dolph Ziggler or you have Grayson Waller at however, £100,000. Does the same job, no ratings difference. So that sort of thing is going to become more and more constant. And you are going to see some big name casualties. Absolutely, yes. no doubt. You know, <laughs> this, we've just seen boxing in Saudi Arabia with UFC's major casualty in the last few years. So it's not unusual for them to do that. And the UFC model, they make far, far more profit than WWE, even though they don't make as much money. So that will be kind of the way going forward. Will it mean more volatility? You know, they've just seen a huge period of volatility. They have the takeover, and within a few weeks, first, you know, as first reported by Wade Keller, Vince McMahon is out. Yeah. After how many years? How many decades? And we just treat it like it's just something that's happened because of the thing that happened last summer where people thought he was out. And then he returned, you know, um, in a nice, very Halloween way, actually, didn't he? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Bearing in mind the time. But yeah, he he returned straight out of there in in January and threw everything up in arms. Well, now he can't. And it's better for Endeavor and for TKO to have that because you have someone in Triple H who is accountable now. So he's not like the, the puppet on a string anymore where, oh, he's maybe accountable, but Vince interferes and Vince has responsible. So who's responsible for these decisions? Who's responsible for these creative decisions and how they are affecting our business? So you are holding him as a business to account. And that doesn't mean he's safe either. That just well, that's, the, now. that's the part that I found so fascinating about this, right? Because obviously there was a leak about, and we talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, where Vince McMahon's no longer in charge of creative. And Ari Emanuel was discussing Vince McMahon in sort of negative tones. And the idea is that, you know, the the way that it was phrased was, um, we want to let people do what they were hired to do. You know, so AKA, if if Triple H is the head of creative, then we are going to let him be the head of creative. We're not going to stop and interrupt him. I assume this is meant for agents and producers and other creative folk backstage. But that also means that there's sort of, you know, nobody protecting Triple H either, right? If he does something where they have a bad downturn in business and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, he sort of, it's no longer Vince McMahon's company for life like it used to be. And now all of a sudden it's like you're a studio head that, hey, we lost a bunch of money. Now you're going someplace, right? The big question being like, is there for years, and this is one of the things that I think has impacted Tony Khan and the way people view Tony Khan, right? A lot of these old wrestlers and old promoters who think the only people who can promote and who can book a wrestling show are the people who have booked a wrestling show, right? And that's a very small group of old white dudes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's not a young, you know. So if that's the case, then is that something that Endeavor is going to stick with this mindset that there's only a few people that know how to actually book a wrestling show? Or are they going to, would they consider firing somebody like Triple H if he doesn't bring in the product and and replace them? I mean, then this is 
so far hypothetical, it's probably not even worth the discussion. But that was the kind of thing that jumped out to me was let the creative people do what they were hired to do. But that sort of also suggests, well, we could also fire these creative people if they don't do what they were hired to do, which is produce revenue and bring in money. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just that sense of accountability that's never been there. You know, you've just had decades, decades of kind of falling metrics. And yes, they were making more money each time, but they were losing huge chunks of the fan base and they weren't maximizing people's value. They weren't maximizing their talent. They weren't maximizing their stories. Yeah. So it's, it's one of them. So can they afford to do that now? I think it's too far because you look at UFC and Dana White and you think, well, nobody's touched him. And he's been in right. that business for two decades or more. But at the same time, UFC is only getting more successful. Right. And even with their changing roster and losing people who've previously drawn you know, big money for them, they still have, you know, they're the most successful they've ever been. Right. They, that, the UFC card in uh, Madison Square Garden is going to be an absolute ridiculous gate in a couple of weeks. Yes. It's the most ridiculous gate you can think Those of. Those prices are insane. Yeah, and they've just lost the main fight off it. doesn't matter. Right. You know, no John Jones fight, and he's a controversial figure to start with. But it doesn't matter. They, they're still selling at that because the UFC as a brand is selling. And that's always what WWE wanted. And it doesn't work as well. In, res- you know, in wrestling because we all know that it's when people get hot and stories get hot and you can't just, you know, win 50 matches and be hot, you know. Right. Look at Wardlow. You know, he comes back <laughs> going, match after match after match. Nobody cares. Nobody, nobody cares. cares. Nobody, nobody cares. cares. It's harsh. Poor Wardlow, but nobody I'm cares. sorry. Yes. It's, it's harsh, so mean, but, but nobody cares. No, nobody cares. You know, and everybody can be Bill Goldberg. It doesn't work like that. No. So in that regard, you can't manufacture it in that sense, the way you can in UFC. So it's, you've got to be more about presentation and it's got to be more around creating those sort of things. And some of that is not always in your control. These periods, right. you know, every wrestling company goes up and down in periods. And we've seen two years now of them being able to raise person after person after person to the top. Well, you know, what happens when Roman does lose that belt? You know, right. will that change business? Do they have anyone else to come through any baby faces? Is their top level going to get stagnant because they brought so many people up, you know, in a similar way that AW had issues? So there are so many variables in that. Uh, so what is their priority? Is their priority, you know, delivering those attendance live average numbers? I don't think that probably even matters to them. What they make from revenue for live makes far more difference to them, but it's perception that does for that. And that's why yes. they sabotage AW. But in terms of TV ratings and keeping them partners happy and keeping their next deals and keeping increasing that revenue, that's going to be essential to them. So, right. yeah, it's it's probably – it makes it much more interesting because you think Tony Khan's probably in a similar position at current because while he's negotiating this TV deal, he needs to make every move possible in order to get as much money as possible. But then once he's kind of done that, they're safe. They don't have the same restrictions. Right. We are talking so far into the future, but it's interesting that no one's really kind of looked into it or thought about the kind of possible implications of this and how many free agents look at this and think, well, that's potential instability. Is that something I want to do? Right. Well, I think that's one of those things where, you know, as much as I find it, I enjoy talking about what's going on wrestling now. I also like to look into the crystal ball and be like, you know, 
as you said, wrestling companies go up and down. They have hot periods and they have not hot periods. And if that's going to be the case here, what could be one of the factors that drives a not hot period for WWE, right? What could be a factor that drives a hot period for AEW? And I think, as you said, the role of the network, especially as results to relates to AEW, and I think even um, to WWE, is so understated, right? Uh-huh. It's so understated with regards to how we talk about creative, with uh-huh. regard to talk about who, who's being pushed and, and why, who's like, all of that stuff is, is impacted by what the network wants. And in a period right now, we're keeping the network as happy as possible because you want the fattest deal possible because that's going to get guarantee the health of your company for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, that, you know, we don't talk about that enough. Uh, you know, I don't feel like people discuss it at all. And and it's always like, well, it's Tony Khan's fault because of this, and it's Tony Khan's fault because of that. And it is. At the end of the day, the buck stops with him. But he certainly be impacted by stuff that I think we don't consider on a regular basis. We've, we've talked about it in group chats and bits and pieces, and everybody gets kind of astounded, you know. But in terms of AEW, what helps with the network sometimes they love names you know that people have known from the past no matter you know if there's look at adam copeland he comes in network loves him he's a name he has stature he has the google trends and whatever else you want doesn't draw no they could put someone else in the same spot they draw exactly the same gets far more promotion than anyone else in them two weeks as well but to the network it's we have these guys yeah, I think yes. they run. They ran a promo um, May twenty two, and it was like for AEW, and it had like nobody that AEW had brought through at all, or nobody that had joined the company that wasn't XWE. It was literally we have Chris Jericho and we have Sting and we have you know John Moxley and we have Brian Danielson and we have CM Punk, and that's because to TV networks they just hear names, you know. Right. It doesn't matter it, unless, and it takes so much to prove that somebody else can be that. You know, world champions are signed off with the network. They're not. <laughs> Tony right. just doesn't make a decision. Oh, this is going to. No, you have to have a business case. You have to have the body. Go look at some body transformations. There's some interesting. You know, especially with yep. Max and with Hangman. You know, you have to have things that you don't have to have as a WWE name, and that's all influence. And it's the same in WWE. There's things that the network influence as well. You know, it's famous one day when they asked when Fox asked for CM Punk. It's probably one of the most famous ones out there. You know, Vince had the the call to say no, uh, but they can still have that sort of influence. They can influence right. time. Is it, you know, we talk about women's matches all the time. Well, there's an influence in there. Right. Because of the ratings and that sort of thing. So, yeah, networks have a huge, huge say in things, and it never really gets acknowledged at all. And presentation. You know, right. why, do, why do all these shows run around with these huge, massive sets you know, with all the, the lighting and the camera work and everything like that, a lot of that is network directed. It's what they want. You know, right. <laughs> Why does an AEW run like a fun, awesome, cute venue? Well, like, how do you present yourself for television in a way that makes that mm-hmm. logistically possible and, and doesn't cost you an absolute but ton of money? And is doable within the scope of, you know, getting to the next city in the next couple of days. Like, I think that's, there's a lot of logistics to this and a lot of discussion that I think folks, you know, oh, let's just put the belt on Samoa Joe. Well, you know, <laughs> is the network going to go for that? Like, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that's one of those things that I am, am sort of finding frustrating a little bit in that, you know, when we talked about this and I said this a few weeks ago, I don't, as a fan, 
I don't need to make this kind of stuff my first priority, but I need to be aware of it and understand why some of the things that I would like to see or some of the things that I would like to have happen aren't necessarily happening or may not be, you know, in the cards. And there may be reasons for that, you know, and I just think it's something that, you know, we, we should talk about it a little bit more. So I'm glad we talked about it today. <laughs> Uh, so that's pretty much what's going on with WWE. Where, what's your gut telling you, Trish, about Osprey right now? And I and I say that knowing that <sighs> plans change, right? Because uh, <laughs> my gut's telling me some things, but like I said, I'd hedged my bets. <laughs> Do you know, if you'd asked me like a few months ago, I would have thought he was going to AEW straight up. You know, they've got the Callis angle with um, Fletcher and him putting it in there, and that seems like a straight sell for him to come in and immediately turn babyface. Right. That would, to me, that's how that would feel. I'm not so sure now. Um, the attraction of WWE is something to a lot of people. And also, you know, there's just, there's so many easier spots for him to just walk into. Right. In WWE. And I think maybe that's true. I don't know. You have to look and think, is his personal relationship with Tony Khan and Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega to an extent, you know, the, the driving force behind us. I think I go like 60, 40 AEW at the moment. I'm probably a little bit higher than that because, okay. but I still feel like, like you, I'm, I'm majority AEW, but I don't think it's a, a lock. Like I, I'm maybe at most 75% and that's probably a little high. I'd probably be okay. about 70. Um, I think it makes all the sense in the world for um, if, if, if there's a default assumption that you're going to place one, it makes a million, million sense in the world to go out there and be like, hey, I haven't totally ruled out place two because you want to get the biggest bang for your buck, right? Like this is, is the smartest business choice that you could Absolutely. possibly make. Like go out there and make sure everybody knows it's not a done deal and you haven't, you know, they should all be coming to you for lots of cash. So I don't think it's totally that. I think like you said, there's a lot of factors in play there. And I think ultimately it's going to be difficult to, you know, Without knowing the people involved, it's always hard to say one way or the other. I, I think it's more likely than not, but I'm not a total 100% lock. And I think there's going to be some stuff happening in the next couple months that are going to make it. I think the next few months are going to be integral in terms of like how other people are presented, what's AEW doing right now. Like, There's a lot going on there that I think is going to be a big factor. The funny thing is, if you think at this time last year, Jay White was a lock for WWE. Yeah. Like yeah. an absolute lock. Like, in Jan like Coming up to Christmas, January, everybody thought that's where he was going. Including, you know, you know, a lot of people close to him, a lot of people, people on WWE, and then it flipped. So yep. everything can change. It's what makes this stuff fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to go on to our next topic, which is going to encompass a series of topics. And this is, this is a thing that I sort of wrestled with a little bit today, and Trish and I talked about it. And ultimately, the way I would like to present this and how we're going to discuss it is many topics that all sort of revolve around the overarching discussion of narrative incoherence at All Elite Wrestling currently, as of, like I said today, 10, 29, 23. Um, I think one of the frustrating things that I'm, I'm struggling with, and I think Trish, I could probably speak for you in this, is the way that we currently criticize and talk about AEW in general. It is all or nothing on both sides. Um, 
it seems like on the one side you have folks that are like, it's absolute garbage. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. It's worse than the worst WWE. It's WCW. It's a nightmare. It's a hellscape. I hate everything about it. They've betrayed my trust. I can't stand this show anymore. And then on the flip side, you have people like, everything is amazing. Everything is fantastic. Why would you hate anything ever? This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. And nothing is, it's all perfect and beautiful. And as someone who has, and I think, Trish, again, I will speak for you, as two people who have criticisms about the way AEW is being presented right now, but don't necessarily feel like it's WCW garbage, it's kind of difficult to match that middle of the road where you sort of discuss your criticisms reasonably, but don't let them take over. I I, I don't know if you recall last week, Trish, got very heated about FTR. (laughs) (laughs) It turned out I'm, it turned out to be the thing everybody noticed first. <laughs> She's very upset about FTR. So I, I want us to try to avoid um, talking about AEW in catastrophic tones, right? Oh, because God, I think, yeah, please. yeah, we've discussed this. There is there are bright spots amongst the bad spots, and they are not that far off from fixing some of these things. And I think my frustration comes from seeing how close these things are. But there is narrative incoherence at AEW, and the first thing we can do with kicking that off is discuss last night's collision match between Kenny Omega and MJF, um, which took place in Uncasville, Connecticut. <laughs> I should <laughs> laugh. We, we, we have a friend in one of our group chats who went yes. on like, it was basically like, where the hell is on? So what is an Uncasville? <laughs> and, and then how they all explained to him was like, I felt like I should have made the run now. And it's like my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Collision's main event was Kenny versus uh, MJF. It was something that got teased on, I think it was Dynamite on... Uh, in uh, not the 25th, but the um, 18th. Mm -hmm. And then they booked the match this past Dynamite with a promo. So there's a lot of discussion on ye olde internet about um, this only having a three-day build. This Mm -hmm. is, you know, potential huge first-time matchup, enormous possible thing, like Mm pay-per-view caliber match, and it's on a Saturday night in the middle of Halloween season against a World Series game with three days built. And not not on TV in Canada. And not on TV in Canada. Good point. Um, So one of the things I think everybody going into this match expected was that this would be a fuck finish, right? I think you and I talked about this. We default assumed a fuck finish. I I think there were a lot of folks that were like, well, this isn't going to end clean. It ended clean. There was a clean pin in this match. Um, It did not seem to set up a second match, right? It seemed like this is a one and done. I would not be expecting that at all, no. Right. And... It was sort of fascinating to me the way that the announcers, and in this case, it's Tony Schiavone, Kevin Kelly, and Nigel McGuinness, throughout the entire episode, talked about this match and talked about Kenny Omega. They talked about this match like this was a big goddamn deal. And they talked about Kenny Omega like he was a big goddamn deal. And one of the things I found frustrating about it was that I don't know that AEW does the work or has done the work since let's say November of 2022 of presenting Kenny Omega as a big fucking deal. Right. Mm -hmm. I think they have had moments where they have presented Kenny Omega as a big deal or come close to it, but it's certainly nowhere near on the level of the way new Japan has presented Kenny, even in the wrestle kingdom match last year, um, against Will Ospreay, the first of their, Mm -hmm. uh, 
two matches. So I kind of want to talk about this a little bit in terms of narrative coherence, both the build towards it and the way it was presented and the way it ended, because the match ended with Kenny and um, MJF with a handshake, which mm-hmm. made some people very angry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not understanding that one. I, I might need um, some help on understanding why that was the bit that upset people. Right. Why, why, why was this the thing that made you okay, mad? Okay, yeah. I think people are still angry about the handshake between MJF and Samoa Joe. Um, and so handshakes in general with MJF are starting to piss people off. MJF and Samoa Joe is like one where you can look at the creative now and go, okay, so why did you do that if you're then going to go back to it? I understand that one. Right. And he strangled you with some tape. So that one absolutely probably is far more something to talk about than Kenny Omega doing this on match that is one and done. It is one and done for now. Uh, in for this title reign at least. And making this song and dance about it, like, I, no, I don't get it, I'm sorry. No? I thought, first of all, the match itself was spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. They're both really good wrestlers, and this yep. was a really good wrestling match. It helped that AEW presented it mostly without commercials. Um, it was like 30 full minutes or close to it. Um, it was just just a great, great match. And, it, you know, it was nice to not have a fuck finish because it's been such a prevalent feature of AEW matches lately is that there's interference and something happens that you got, like, a clean ending. And, you know, I, I probably would quibble with the results, but I then fight myself on quibbling with the results because part of me is like, oh, Kenny shouldn't be lose to MJF. And then the flip side of me is like, Kenny should lose to MJF because that's what you do want to do. But I just think... You know, this is goes back to what you talked about last week when you said this is the point in his reign where somebody should be getting built up. And it's still all about MJF. You know, it, it's difficult because, like, yes, people need to lose Claymore. And there's an issue in AEW with that. And there are multiple yeah. people that will tell you there's an issue in AEW and yeah. that. You know, and the people that seem to not have an issue with losing Clay, you know, some of the guys that were there from the start, you know, the right. Chris Jericho's, the Kenny Omega's. Yep. Um, the John yeah. Moxley. The John Moxley, yeah. You know, Moxley doesn't lose that often, but he'll lose. Um, but it, there's definitely a differentiation, and that has been an issue, and especially since you know the roster kind of changed its makeup in more recent years. The issue is not with him losing, and it's not with him losing clean. And I am so tired of reading the same 10 things, because I feel like we're making straw men. So there are issues with what they did here, yeah. And there are things that were great with what they did here. Yes. They, they made Omega sound like the guy that he is. You know, yes. this is the best big match wrestler in the world ever, probably. Yep. There is no one else like him. No. You know, like people talk about Okada, they talk about Danielson. They do not have the same level of match every time that Kenny Omega does. No. He has a special match every time. You know, Forbidden Door, we still. <laughs> you have literally his match of Osprey. Even before the injury, Danielson and Okada couldn't live with that. No, no. They couldn't it was live with it. Incredible to see live to be like, this is this is dead. They have killed this crowd dead. There's <laughs> nothing they can there's nothing no. they can do. They're trying so hard and they couldn't do anything. And it doesn't really matter in a way what AEW does with him, because he can go somewhere and do that anywhere and it's back. He has that aura. Yes. He's special. And I really wish people would see how special he is. You know, I make arguments. He's the biggest draw this company has ever had. You know, you go back, think- you look at the pay-per-views, you look at the ratings and his programs and the big programs that he's had. You look at the ticket sales. Even this year, you know, I yes. still think he's the biggest draw this year. You know, the cage match with John Moxley, the yep. sixth man at the start of the year. 
the Vikingo match, which is still to me the most impressive rating. Because if you look at that ratings pattern and that rating number against NBA, nobody with that sort of competition has been able to achieve that. No, he blew it out of the water. Yeah. Blew it out of the water. We've yeah. practically, and, and that was after a period of not actually being able to speak on TV for three months. Yep. You know? So this guy is special. And that's not to take anything away from Max or anybody else. No. You know what you're going to get with Kenny Omega. And I just realized, I just wish that they would promote it as such. Yeah. On a regular basis, you know? And that's the thing. So you look at New Japan, right? He goes to New Japan, he does the Will Ospreay match. That had a short build. They built anticipation for it months before. You know, he did the announcement straight after Full Gear. Yep. The next morning, uh, they, they run that one on the next day in Japan. They ran that one straight away there. There was nothing else for them for like two months. So they built that anticipation. And then in the run-up, he did press after press after press in English in Japan. Yep. And then they did the press conference. They did two massive set promos right before, and a New Japan hammered it. They had adverts in YouTube. They had everything everywhere. They did the support videos. They ran things, you know, in the build-up on the road to They did everything they could to promote it. And that's an example of one of the very rare things that happens, where the first match drove more interest than the second one. So, you know, if you think about Kenny in particular, you've got matches like the Okada series. Each match gains more interest. Or his matches with John Moxley. So you have the one at Full Gear. Then you have the one at Winter is Coming, which did a huge rating. Huge yep. increase on the previous four weeks. And then you have the pay-per-view with the bar Exploding Barbed Wire Deathmatch at Revolution, which does a huge increase on the previous year. So you see these kind of incremental increases because the interest drives up because of the previous matches. We didn't see that at Forbidden Door. We didn't see any press at all. Kenny did one interview with TSN earlier in the week about the Canadian tour. Sounded like a New Japan wrestler. Um, <laughs> We didn't see any press. We didn't see any videos. We didn't even have him on Dynamite that week because they had long been told long before they were not going to be on that episode because this return of CM Punk was viewed as a bigger thing. So they didn't maximize that. And he didn't main event, even though there was lots of people in that company. I mean, Danielson's spoken about it recently, so how we can talk yes. about it. You know, yes. He spoke about he never wanted to follow Kenny Omega ever again. <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, and... This has been, yeah, it's been consistent of him being kind of underpromoted, and his focus has been very inconsistent since Forbidden Door. You know, they did the blood and guts thing, and then he's kind of been in and out and in and out. And you can tell that, you know, maybe he needs more reps. You know, his mic work isn't as confident as it used to be. He made note of it. He made note of how little he gets to talk on TV in the promo on Wednesday. You know, so he maybe needs more belief in him sometimes as well, even at his age and his you know, style and what he can achieve. But it just, if you promoted this the way that you promoted Edge's debut, Ugh. yeah, like, so you've got to make it mean something. He's a special attraction now. He's not wrestling every week. No. He's not going to. His body isn't going to wrestle every week. No. Now, when he no. came back in November, he was like, I'm wrestling with the Bucks. This is what I'm doing, my body, you know, and maybe there were some things involved in that too. Um, yeah. Maybe that's not a straightforward decision, but it was, this is what I'm doing. And this is what my body can achieve. He is never going to be that guy that wrestles, you know, the, the schedule Osprey has wrestled this year. It's done. It's not going to happen. But no. he's a special attraction and he's still one of the biggest attractions in your company. You know, treat him like that. Promote him like that. Make this important. You did this in the middle of a feud, Okay. With seven other 
flipping people, which <laughs> yeah. we'll get to in narrative yeah. incoherence. We'll get yes. to that in a minute. Yeah, you did this in the middle of feud. The belt wasn't even available. You did a really stupid angle early in the show on that too. When you yeah. made Max look like a WWE babyface. I'm sorry. That was just, that made him look an idiot. I have no idea what I did that. And then you have it. So he gives him that clean loss. You know, he gives him that t- kind of passing of the torch and it's barely seen and it's not built up in that way where they make it a big deal. You know, right. this, should be this should be on, they should have been discussing this on every radio station. Tony Khan should be out doing his little media run that he does. You know, yeah. Max should have been out, you know, Kenny should have been out other than doing kind of one thing in Sports Illustrated, which had some really weird paragraphs. <laughs> that was a weird article, Trish. That was, that was a weird <laughs> article. Just straight underneath the first comment was just like, yeah, and, um, you know, he's probably losing because, you know, MJF's already got a title opponent at the next pay-per-view. And you're like, what? Wait, wait, what? What are we doing here? Um, that was really strange. But, yeah, you, you've got to promote Kenny on that level. You are paying him an enormous amount of money. Yep. You are paying the elite an enormous amount of money. And, yeah, the problems with Kenny extends to all four of them guys. Um, probably less so to him, but definitely does. You didn't want them in WWE. You knew what damage they would do to WWE, particularly yes. Omega. Yeah? Yes. Yes. You know, it's not just, yeah, maybe you're paying them to keep them quiet as well, which is one of the things when everyone talks about, oh, we want them to do radio on press. and like, yeah, they don't want them to talk. Uh, <laughs> but you are paying them this amount of money to keep them from WWE because you know what impact they could have there and how they could be presented. Why don't present him like that? <laughs> you know? It's oh, just it me crazy. No, it's another example of AEW like missing an easy shot, right? Yeah. Like, this was an easy shot. And it is, it does. I do think the three days build argument is a, is in some quarters a touch overblown. That said, because I think those of us that were paying attention and the second they said, oh, you know, MJF will be at this collision. A, uh, Kenny Omega will be at this collision. We kind of mm-hmm. were like, oh, okay, they're going to do Kenny versus MJF, sure. right? Like it was at the same time, I am kind of like you. I don't understand why you have someone who is a consistent ratings and ticket mover for you. Mm-hmm. Somebody who moves numbers in a way that very few other people on your roster do. And yet you don't want to present or promote him in that way as a big big fucking deal. And I, it's sort of baffled me. I kind of understood it when CM Punk was there in terms of like, okay, well you've, you've made your choice and, mm-hmm. and this is what, this is the, the horse you decided to ride on. <laughs> that horse drowned itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so <goodness. laughs> my, my, my metaphor has become ever more tortured when I try to discuss this topic. <laughs> that horse drowned itself. So why are we not now pivoting and, mm-hmm. and putting Kenny back in that level of Danielson. Like, Danielson can't breathe without breaking a bone, and yet every time he comes back and he's presented as a big goddamn deal. Moxley is presented as a big goddamn deal. Like, where is that for Kenny? And, yes. and they did it last night, right? But mm-hmm. there's it's like out of sight, out of mind. When Kenny's not around, he's not talked about like a big deal the way that some of the other guys are. And I find that to be one of those things where it's like, you know, if you're not going to open up your 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 top of the card scene to other people, which you don't seem to want to do, then why can't you present this guy as a top of the card guy? Sure. Like, I don't know. It, it's the narrative incoherence of the MJF feud with Kenny was one of my frustrations with it. Even though, like I said, I do feel that some of the criticism was a bit, you know, like I, I talked about this last week, whenever there's any kind of criticism okay. with MJF, there's a nastiness to it sure. that I don't, 
that I think seems very personal in some ways, right? Like people have just decided that this guy is the worst guy, like the, you know, the, the, the Hulk Hogan references, you know, and it just doesn't seem earned for someone who is not, you know, I think there's legitimate criticisms right now. And I think the fact that there's like a million freaking feuds going on, like the only thing that seems to be happening in this company is, is circulate around MJF. And I want to talk about this a little bit right now because I think it's kind of important. And then I want to use FTR as an example. <laughs> That's sort of what I'm talking about. Maybe I'll get myself. I'll try to stay calm this week. Okay. But when we talk about what's going on with MJF, right? MJF is now feuding, was feuding with Kenny. Mm-hmm. That seems to be done. He yeah. is, although I still think, and you called this, I still think there's a shot that Kenny and, and the Bucks back MJF up against Jay and the uh, Bullet Club gang. I'm getting Bullet to the Club. point where I put money on it now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you you were the one who said this, and I think it's much more likely. Um, so we had that feud with Kenny. You've got a feud with Jay White and the Bang Bang Gang with a sub-feud with Juice Robinson. Wardlow is apparently coming for MJF. Uh, Samoa Joe keeps showing up and talking to MJF. The Kingdom and Roderick Strong seem to want to be involved with MJF. The Acclaimed are involved with MJF. Mm-hmm. Um, who am I forgetting here? Is that everybody? Hobbs, so this is Hobbs, 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 watching. Yeah. Hobbs is watching. So that's eight. That's eight separate people involved mm-hmm. in feuds with MJF right now. Sure. What else is going on in AEW? Okay, and I don't want to over overstate this because I think there are some. Right now, we've got clearly we've got Orange Cassidy, the international title. He's uh, feuding with various eccentrical members of the BCC. Mm-hmm. That keeps getting messed up due to injury, but that's an ongoing storyline that we're seeing for the most part on a weekly basis. Fair. We've got Christian Cage and the TNT title, which is en- encompassing Nick Wayne, Luchasaurus, Darby Allen, Sting, Edge, or excuse me, Cope, and now Ric Flair. <laughs> which we'll get into that in a minute. Mm. Um, we've got uh, Sky Blue's imminent turn to the dark side. Uh, <laughs> You've I, done that. You did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I never would. We've got um, Chris Statlander's dealing with that and with Willow mm-hmm. Nightingale. We've got Tony Storm, Timeless Tony, uh, seems to be coming after Sheeta. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot going on with the outcasts. Rhea hasn't been seen since she dropped the belts. Ruby had a match and that, yeah, Ruby had a match and that's it. Um, we had Ortiz, Santana and Ortiz. They had their blow off match on rampage Friday night. Ortiz seems to be getting recruited by, um, Sanjay Dutt, which is a weird grouping. We have Eddie feuding with Jay lethal. That's going on. Um, and then we have whatever the flip is going on with FTR, which was on collision last night, but that's, oh, we've got Miro and CJ Perry, right? That's not, it sounds like a lot, but I don't feel like it is a lot. And not, none of it's, not any of it's really that interesting. And not any of it is really being something that we're looking at week to week. It's just stuff that is like, you know, thrown out there once in a while. It's a, it's, you know, and and let me put it this way, right? So Collision last night, we had a spectacular promo from Claudio about his upcoming match on Wednesday with Orange Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Spectacular promo. But all I kept thinking about is here's another feud where the angles are being driven by the heel. The heel is doing the talking. The heel is the one being presented in, in given promo time. And that's where the focus is. Like, I, it's there's just like I said, narrative incoherence. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, do you know what's funny? Is you listed all them programs and you didn't list Swerve Hangman and you didn't oh. list the Jericho Kenny Callis family thing. And that's not to like, that's not to it's more it illustrates how yeah. nothing feels important, right? So, 
if you think about it, the, the biggest periods in AEW history of success. So we'll do this like chronologically. So you've got January to March 2023. You had multiple hot programs. So you had Cody and MJF. You had Kenny Hangman's tag run and, uh, with the, obviously, inf- uh, the in things with the Bucks. And you had John Moxley, Chris Jericho. Yes. Now, next 2020, bit, yes. Yeah, in 2020. And then... Summer of 2021, you had Hangman and Kenny Omega. You yep. had Chris Jericho and MJF. Yep. They were the two big driving stories. And then also you had um, the Lucha Brothers, or they were mixing with Death Triangle and Eddie Kingston with the Bucks. Yes. Had a bit of Jurassic Express as well. So you had multiple hot programs there. And then going into spring of 2022, you had CM Punk, MJF, you had Brian Danielson and John Moxley, and you had Hangman, who still had, you know, believe it or not, because most people don't, I guess, um, <laughs> supporting him, whatever he was doing as that champion. So you always had multiple things going on that people were invested in, yeah. and things felt important. And I think these are the two big things that create all this because the focus is on max because he's the only thing being focused on on this tv show yes and yes. if you and if you like what max is doing you know i said he's like marmite right if you like it if you're enjoying that story then you're going to be pretty happy with everything because everything is around him right but if you don't like it what else is there for you to sink your teeth into <laughs> You need other things for you to sink your teeth into. And that's how AEW's always worked. Nobody has ever liked everything they've done at any time. Never. There's always been enough that if you don't like this, well, I have this to focus on. Or I don't like this, well, I've got that to focus on. And when you lose that, it becomes more difficult because then you've literally got a 50-50 split of, do I like this thing or not? And if the answer is no, then you start to feel that disconnect. And that's what's happening here. So you take out the kind of TNA Mecca style we love everything, everything's awesome, people. And you take out the we hate everything, people. You have got a lot of people in the middle that have that disconnect. And that's what you're seeing in the metrics. You know, because unless you're really invested in something, you aren't buying a ticket. Maybe you are at 10 bucks or whatever. But in general, you know, you need something sometimes that you're invested in to drive you to buy that ticket, especially if WWE is in the same town. You're making a choice right. there. Right. right. So that might be the difference between buying that ticket or not. And you can throw things on there. You can put, oh, you know, we've got a card this week, or we can do that, or Mr. Curl, we can do But that's a short-term solution. That doesn't fix anything long-term. No. Um, the other th- yeah, the thing with Max is, and with the Kenny thing, is the biggest thing is, did they give it the level of importance that that should have by doing that match the way they did? And that's probably the biggest issue. So you gave him that clean loss from Kenny Omega. Right. Does it matter? Does it mean anything? Could it have meant more? And that's the difference. So same, you gave, you know, Takeshi that clean loss. He then doesn't wrestle a match on TV until this week and you put him on Rampage and you don't promote it. Right. That is not making the most out of these things. You have to maximize that value and you need to maximize these occasions because they're the things that drive these other guys like MJF, like Takeshi, and make them stronger as well. It elevates everybody. But if you don't give anything any importance or you don't give anything else any time, you'll never get that. You can never have a one-man team. You know, like he's – Max is kind of very Cena-like to me at the moment, not just in his moveset or the way he kind of is, but his kind of lack of adversity. You know, he doesn't have any adversity. And I do feel kind of sorry for Jay White, right, because <laughs> Jay White looks minuscule in comparison to Kenny Omega. 
and he, you know, and he's had this his whole career, poor guy. You know, you come, he got Kenny leaves New Japan. He has to step into that kind of role. So he's right. he's been in Kenny Omega's shadow for all that period of time. But then you do this stuff with Max, and there's all these other things going on. You know, the stuff of Adam Cole is still going on. I think that's coming back. I will put money on it that before this reign is over, there's something to do with Cole. Um, I would not be surprised. Yeah, I'm not putting, you know, people say, oh, we're going to have a nice, so, yeah, fresh or exciting champion. I don't see it. Um, I, I do think it's going to be someone established. I really, really do. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's on call. But the, the idea is, is that you have that going on. That's superseding you already. You're doing promos and Max is very strong in terms of because he's still doing the heel thing. You know, maybe he goes in too strong or maybe the, the, the way the baby face would normally react isn't there. So it's harder to work off. Then right. you've got this stuff with Juice Robinson. So you're already taking heat away from JY. Right. Because you're putting the heat onto Juice Robinson. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, with that sort of angle. Then you've got the issues of him not really defeating anybody clean, practically. You know, you take 15 minutes to put away Al Fox. Okay, great, okay. You don't put Hangman away clean. You struggle with Penta. It's, that's not going to make you look like a fret. So he's not looking like, I don't know if this is elevating him. And then, God, you put him behind Kenny Omega and people are like, I'd like to see that rematch more than I'm going to want to see JY at the pay-per-view. It's not a great place for him to be. One of the things I think that is benefiting JY, and I don't disagree with you on what you've said. Like, I think it's a good point, but I think he is getting as much or more TV time than almost anybody right now. Like he is all over both shows. Bullet Club Gold is all over both shows. And I do think that, um, I agree with you that he has definitely taken a backseat in this feud. It doesn't look like he's, it's clear he's not winning, you know, um, he keeps, he's got the next pay-per-view match, but we're fighting seven other people and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, there is something to be said for consistent television time. And that I don't think is a bad thing necessarily here, but you know, even last night when they were like, Oh, you know, it's, it's, you know, we've been advertising. When has that ever happened? It's never happened that they've advertised a pay-per-view main event and then changed the belts on a TV match before it. Like it just, it, short of injury or, or catastrophic plan changing, that doesn't happen. So when you say to me, oh, well, we could be Kenny Omega versus Jay White at full gear. Well, I know it's not. <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't know. Like, that's the kind of stuff sometimes where I'm just like, you know. And, you know, but sometimes they add and make it triple threats. You know, we've seen it with um, Brian Allison and Roman Reigns yeah. doing an, an, an edge, as it was at the time. And then, <laughs> I might as well include Brian Danielson. Brian Danielson and... Uh, <laughs> Randy Orton and Batista back in the day. But the, the thing about doing that is that that kind of points out that something in that original match isn't doing what you wanted to do. And that's yeah. kind of the issue as well with running the Kenny thing. It's like, oh, this program isn't doing enough. Let's add this. Yeah. It's just its perception. And I know everyone's like, oh, he's funny. He gets over. Yes, he's getting fantastic amounts of time. He's getting time that other guys would only dream of. Right. And, you know, there's an element of... Not just that, like the consistency is, but again, that's heel driven as well. Um, right. He gets more time, but Max gets plenty. I guess the thing is, is like he works collision and he works dynamite. And there are very, very few people doing that. Even now, we're still not seeing that transition to stories moving across two programs. You know, we're seeing people run different programs or we're seeing culminating matches. So in the case of, you know, Christian and Brian Nelson or, you know, this current Max 
Kenny match that we saw last night. We're seeing culminating matches put on Collision, but we're not seeing these stories told across both. No. And that's that's not changing. No, it doesn't that's seem not. like it is. Because, you know, Collision last night, I know the two weeks ago I came in hot because Collision angered me. <laughs> and I enjoyed Collision last night for the most part, but I was still struck by how thin that show <laughs> is in terms of what happens on it. Right. In terms of the people, and I don't want to become one of those people that's like, well, I didn't like, this doesn't appeal to me. This didn't cater to me specifically. So therefore it was bad. Right. You know, I, I, of the people who are consistently on collision, none of them are my like, oh, I will drop everything to watch these guys. Right. That's, that's just how it works. That said, I still like some of these people. Miro is slowly but surely making a comeback in my, I haven't thrown him out with the bathwater yet type situation. But that said, like, Collision is really bereft of any angles happening. And some of the angles we're seeing are disappearing. Uh, and I think that's the next thing I want to talk about, which is going back to my um, thing that is not going to get me angry this week, which is <laughs> FTR and the tag belt reign that they've had. And we talked about this a little bit last week, and I kind of went back through today because I wanted to look at when exactly did, they, did FTR win the titles? How many defenses have they had? against whomst, and for how long. And it was kind of shocking to me because I think I had it in my brain that, well, you know, geez, they've had a lot better matches, right? Or they've had some better feuds than what I thought. And the reality is it's it's pretty thin, right? Mm -hmm. So FTR lost the IWGP Ring of Honor and AAA tag belts pretty quickly in the fall, um, early winter of uh, 22, 23, right? I think it was October, December, and January. Okay. They became the AEW tag belts. They didn't have a single match between the beginning of January and Wrestle Kingdom. And uh, when they won the tag belts from the guns on April 6th, 23. Okay. Their first title defense was against the guns at a house show on May 12th. Their second title defense was uh, at Double or Nothing, where they defeated Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. And that was Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett's second consecutive pay-per-view tag belt chance because they fought the guns at... um, was it the guns or the acclaimed? They were the, the opponents for um, Revolution, right? So then we had the collision debut where F- CMFTR defeated uh, Jay White, Juice Robinson, and Samoa Joe. Um, the following week, we had Bullet Club Gold defeating CMFTR and Ricky Starks. Then we had Bullet Club Gold defeating FTR in a 28-minute eliminator match. That was on July 8th. That was like a big match. wasn't for the titles, but it was... Considered a really good match. And then the following week, they did that uh, two out of three falls tag titles match that was, um, I think Dave gave it five stars. It was on July 15th, and it was 58 minutes. That was their third title defense, mm-hmm. um, was from April to July. They had three title defenses. And then the next week, they had their fourth one. They beat Better Than You, Bay Bay, uh, which was Collision's second highest rating after its debut, which is still Collision's second highest rating after its debut. Um, and then the week after that, on August 5th, they beat Brian Cage and Big Bill for the tag titles. Uh, then House of Black beat CMFTR for the trios titles, which I had wiped that from my memory. And then FTR beat the Young Bucks for the tag titles uh, uh, at All In on 8-27, August 27th. Mm-hmm. Um, then Bullet Club Gold beat FTR and the Young Bucks at All Out. FTR beat the Iron Savages on September 16th for the tag titles in three and a half minutes. <laughs> FTR beat the Workhorsemen for the tag titles uh, on September 23rd in four and a half minutes. 
Uh, and then FTR beat Aussie Open for the tag titles at Wrestle Dream, and that was their last successful defense. They lost the following week to uh, Ricky Starks and Big Bill. Mm-hmm. And then they had a no contest, no contest match with Bad Thad and Darian Brown, and that was like like a minute. <laughs> Okay, so this is their tag defenses. There's really no storyline around any of those tag defenses. Clearly, they were, other than the Bullet Club Gold, which I think you could argue is a strong, pretty strong storyline to kick off Collision. It wasn't for me. I didn't really want to look at CM Punk at that point, but I know a lot of people loved it, and it got a lot of praise. Okay, so fine. Then they went into this Young Bucks program. Okay, they beat the Young Bucks at All In. They uh, teamed up with them at All Out, and then at Wrestle Dream, the Young Bucks won a title shot for the tag titles. This was a whole big thing. They had a four way. They beat all these guys, um, and then the next week, October seventh, FTR lose the tag belts to Ricky Starks and Big Bill. Okay, Fightful reported that night that the Bucks versus FTR is not happening anymore. And Wrestling Observer Radio said, well, Cash is hurt. There was some reports on the figure four board that Cash was hurt and had some legal problems possibly that might be impacting him. This was, you know, sort of rumors that were being shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on uh, October 11th, we were told Cash from Fightful, we were told Cash Wheeler's nursing injured ribs, but we're not told if he'll make any miss any time. And then all of a sudden on October 12th, Wrestling Observer Radio and Pro Wrestling Insider both say that, that uh, Dax and Cash did not lose the tag titles because of injury. It was a creative decision to put Ricky Starks and Big Bill over. Um, collision on October 14th. We talked about this. FTR were in the ring giving promos and big rigs like nothing was wrong. Wrestling Observer Radio on the 15th of October said that they were going to do a rematch for the tag titles where FTR was going to win them back from uh, Starks and Bill on the 28th uh, episode of Collision, which was last night. That didn't happen. And then Dave reported in The Observer on Friday that the match with the Young Bucks is unlikely. And I will say that during this entire period, there's been no mention of the Young Bucks being tag titles contenders. Mm -hmm. There's been no discussion of this. The Young Bucks disappeared off television until the rampage of last week and then the following match with the Hardys for the Ring of Honor tag titles, right? Mm -hmm. And this whole storyline has just disappeared. Again, I'm I'm circling back to narrative incoherence. What the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is going on? How much trouble can I get in? Uh, (laughs) Get in as much trouble as you want. Like, what the fuck is going on with this? Like, and I'm not trying to like kill you all with dates, but I want you to get a sense of of where we're at with this. Let's start with the point. I think, as a whole, you would say it was a disappointing tag run. Yeah, you would say that there's no progression of the character. Nope, there hasn't been. Uh, the only character what they did was getting kind of smoked by Matt Jackson in one interview before. <laughs> it was the still... most interesting. It was the most interesting thing that happened to them in their entire tag run. Yeah, so it was a very strange one. Yeah, well, the the belts were only acclaimed at the start of the year and then were taken off them to Guns and Transition, which cooled the acclaimed off. There is no yep. doubt on that. They went from the top merch sellers in the company um, to kind of bit part players. And if you look at their ratings and their quarters and their episodes they're on. It's nowhere near. They were no. driving ratings from July through February this year, from July last year to February this year. That's not happening anymore. So nope. we sacrificed them in a way for this. That's yep. the only way to look at it, and it's the way most people look at it. So you put them on them. They do nothing practically to collision starts. They do the thing with Bullock of Gold, which is really just driven by the belts and the matches. It's right. not a character-changing program. It doesn't change anybody's character, in fact. No. You know, and you think about it, that, that program really kind of runs all the way through the summer until you get to All Out with the, the eight-man. Uh, yes. And they run that with, you know, and FTR Bucks was a late thing. 
we all know, you know, Bucks yes, and yes. were going to face the Righteous and the stuff that they're doing with Ring of Honor was kind of probably going to kick in a little bit earlier if they were going to do it or not. But you do that and you do the setup by doing we're not working together and stuff. And it's hot. You know, the Bucks were the hottest they've been in. Donkeys are all out. You know, crowd yes. were going out again. And then all of a sudden this all changes and we're not doing it at full gear. You know, in the Bucks home market. Oh, we're right. not doing it at Rancho because I know there was discussions on both. So <laughs> it seems quite a weird thing. The thing about title reigns as well is, you know, you can say, oh, we had two great matches in their title reign. Well, that doesn't really make a title reign. So who did you make? You know, who did you make stronger? Who did you lift up? Because that's kind of your role as champions. How did you represent that division? That's why I wanted to go back and look at those matches because I thought to myself, you know, geez, like they, they fought the workhorsemen. They fought yeah. the Iron Savages. Like, and again, I'm like, that's three and a half minutes, four and a half minutes match. Doesn't like, benefit anybody. You took a lot of heat in those matches, right? Like you made it look like those guys were beating you up, but like, how did that help either of those teams? Like the, 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 the that whole sequence. And like, again, I'm not FTR are a good tag team. I don't want to, 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 to understate that they, they're a good tag team. They're good wrestlers in the ring. They're very good. You put them in a, in a tag match with another really good tag team and you will have an absolutely pants weddingly good tag match, non-negotiable. And I, I'm certainly don't want to understate that, but the creativity and the, the level of like storytelling and interest in characters, nothing happens with them. And so like, I'm I'm just so frustrated by this because at the very least, like the most interesting they were, like you said, was when Matt Jackson was reading them to filth. <laughs> yeah, and he was, you know, and Dax was trying to find it, put his tongue back in his mouth. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, look, you have this situation then where you know there's a funny thing where people say like the Bucks only work with their friends. Well, look at the list of people that FTR have worked with in this tag room. Right, it's surprisingly small. You know, they've worked how many people this year? Uh, 29 if you include the no contest, which was people who don't work for AEW, right? right. Um, the Bucks have worked 43? 43. So, which is kind of a funny stat. But it's like this reign has not included too much interesting. It's not included too many people or any split tag teams, you know, like singles guys wrestling together. You've had no talent from elsewhere. There's been nothing really driving that interest. You know, you have to two couple three big matches and stuff. I still think they should have lost to Cole and MJF. Yeah, they went hard then. You. That was the time to pull that trigger. You lose them belts when you do to Starks and Big Bill in front of 300 or 1,000 people because it's going up against a major WWE pay-per-view. Nobody watched. Nobody saw it. You know, if you're going to end at the end of a title reign, and this is a thing for Max to, you know, I want to be careful of that as well. The end of the title reign should be one of your key moments. You should be elevating yes. someone up. It should be important. Again, it's the same thing, right? It should be important. That was not important. Nobody cared. And Nobody you spoil cared. it. And you spoil it anyway when you walked out and did your promo with your, you know, chewing a bulldog, chewing a wasp face. Like, you know, we're definitely going to lose. You told everybody the game. More so than. But that's what baffles me about this, Trish, is that if the whole point is that, well, we have to put over Ricky Starks and Big Bill, we want to make Ricky Starks and Big Bill look good, then what, what was a boo-boo face for? <laughs> if this was your idea and this was what you wanted to do, then why yeah. did you look like someone just told you your dog had died? Like, I don't – I and uh, let's, let's talk about last night, right? Dax had a match with Ricky Starks. Yeah. Heatless. 
absolutely heatless. Yeah. They popped for the entrances. They popped for the finish. Cash was doing everything he possibly could to get that crowd to give a shit. And that crowd was hot for Jay versus AR, Jay, Jay uh, White versus AR Fox and mm-hmm. for Kenny versus MJF. That was not a question of the crowd being dead. Like, there is no interest in that program. Like, what are you going to do with Ricky Starks? And then the best part was, is after that whole thing happens, <laughs> you have House of Black are watching the Ricky Starks at Dax match. Why? Unclear. Um... You have uh, House of Black attacking the ring afterwards, and then LFI coming out, right? This is the first we've seen of Roosh in months? Months? since the Jungle Boy match, yeah. Right. And so what this looks like to me now is that we're going to translate and we're going for a four-way tag match, right? We're going to have House of Black versus... Like, I can't envision anything less boring. Like, more (laughs) boring. Anything less interesting. Like... What, what, why? Why? Why are any of these people feuding with each other? What do House of Black want? And how does Ricky Starks and Big Bill help them get the thing they want? Narrative incoherence, as I scream into the microphone. Like, what's the point of any of this? And I get it. Like, sometimes you just have a feud for a feud's sake. But this just seems like, well, all these are the guys that are willing to work collision and, and willing to work Saturday. So let's just put them in the ring together. The problems with this is, is you do the whole thing of we're going to work our way back up and now you're going, he's not going to give us a rematch. Like, you point us out. You don't mention the Bucks having them, the title shot anytime, anywhere. So you scrap that. You think that, and, you know, that impacts other things as well. This is not just impacting the tag division. No, it is not. There are other things that will make more money for this company in the long term, way more money, that are being impacted by these decisions. Way more money. And, you know, I tell you what I think would be if you're gonna run the four way, run the four way. But you put the belts back on FTR, what's the point? You're getting nothing out of that. No. Somebody needs to change character here. None of them are fresh anymore. No. You know, the bucks aren't fresh at current. Bucks aren't getting used, so and they get no mic time and all that thing. That all kind of feeds into it. You know, FTR definitely aren't. And you've got other no. things hanging over it. So <laughs> I like the suggestion. Someone said this to me the other day, and I'm kind of keen on it. And it's very WWE in one way. But you want to turn them heel, but you're going to get a babyface pop when they, if they win anything in like LA or in Rancho. Yeah, cash it in. Make it like a Money in the Bank thing. Do it as a one-off, and then do the whole thing. Of, hey, this is our company. You know, this is our company. We're going to do what we want. We're going to take this back, and you play on that, and you use Hangman just being a killer. Hangman doesn't need to turn. He can be a tweener. Just have yeah. him kill people. You know, and. Page is a really interesting one going into this week. So we've just done this breaking angle. Yep. Uh, he didn't even reply to the week before with the, you know, with Swerve costing him his loss to JY. Yep. That never happened. They did a promo on Rampage and they just addressed the ring of honor belts. Yep. Uh, which we'll get to in a second, actually. God, do I want to discuss them. But so he doesn't do that face thing of, you know, you cost me. Right. They let Swerve do that. Again, the heels are driving the fucking narrative. Yeah. So they do this thing with a house invasion. And you now have something set up for one. Hangman has to have vengeance to stay babyface now. Right? Yes. If he loses that next match to Swerve, then you have basically neutered him. You've, yep. you've chopped his bollocks off, let's be honest. Um, yep. Not for the first time with Adam Page. But that's what that happens is. So there's nothing left for him as a babyface then. So you either turn him or what? What do you do with him? So... You have that match. Maybe they do something like lights out and that to keep Swerve's record. I think that's not beyond the possibility. You know, it needs to be a. It has to be a gimmick match. You have to do a gimmick match. You yes, yes. Family yes. involved in that, but there's also you know he needs that huge babyface promo, and this is yes. something that they would have done, you know, years ago. 
something yes. like this happens. Consequently, we do this huge baby face panel. And there are things, I'm going to be really careful I say here, but there are things that he has never spoken about that the themes have kind of been brought into this angle already. And I do wonder kind of what his, I'm really, really interested in what the path is, but you need to do that. And if you don't do that, the angle's near enough dead. You cannot just do a, I just want him another match, or you just attack him and stuff. He has to cut that baby face promo. It's got to happen. And it's got to happen soon. You can't just leave three weeks like they did when he came back after Moxley and then he cut the promo on the, I can't remember my my kid's name. You need to do it now. I just don't, again, you have no other stories. Nothing <laughs> else is happening, okay? No. Nothing else is happening. We, we covered it at the top. Nothing else is happening. Why are you not taking this and running with it? Everybody is fresh. Yeah, everybody loves Swerve. Swerve yeah, is yeah. hot as hell right now, yes, okay? because he's fresh to that scene. Yeah. And yes, it probably shouldn't be Hangman that's elevating him. Right. But actually, it's a bloody good deal. We, oh, I'm very English. It's a bloody good deal <laughs> that he is. Because he's working with Swerve. Yes. Right? And there is a lot of occasions as of late where we have people doing the supporting role to more experienced wrestlers. And even some extent to, you know, I had a conversation about the JYMJF thing. And it was like they were talking around each other or not working with each other. Whereas it felt like Hangman and Swerve, they are working with each other. And you can see it. You know, everything is going between them. And I, I think it's now we know, you know, Will Washington's involved in that creative as well. But they are working to better that. Because, you know, Paige is very much of the opinion that the more, you know, it's a Jericho thing. The more yeah. people we elevate, the stronger the company is. So, yes. Yeah, but, but then, like I said, this is what's making me insane about this right now. <laughs> this is a hot program with two yep. wrestlers who are clicking, who are absolutely, like, killing it, right? You uh-huh. you neutered their momentum to give wins to Christian Cage and Brian Danielson, okay? <laughs> like, Fine. Yeah, you, right. you basically relegated it from a world title feud to a TNT feud, but yeah. Come right, on. <laughs> fine. Okay, we can recover from that because these are yep. both two fucking talented guys who know sure. what they're doing and can make you care, right? Yes. Like, and, and people in the, I was at Dynamite on Wednesday night, and yeah. I can tell you that people in the audience were extremely excited for this angle, right? Like, yeah. like there was a woman in front of me that was like, he needs to get out of his house! I don't know this baby or not! <laughs> Like seriously losing her shit over it in a way that I also was losing my shit over it. So, you know, we couldn't hear a word Swerve said, but people were still <laughs> terrified, right? Like, I just don't understand. It's my own personal frustration, right? Yeah. It, Hangman has grown and changed. Swerve has grown and changed, mm-hmm. okay? The FTR are freaking static. These Nothing- are two of the only characters that grow and change in the Correct. Summit. Correct. No <laughs> one, you know, Orange Cassidy growing and changing a little bit, yep. slowly, yep. very slowly, very in character to go slowly. Mm-hmm. But like stuff's happening. So why do we keep stopping the stuff that's happening to go back to focus on things that where nothing happens? House of Black have not changed. Nothing changes. They don't even change other people anymore, which you could argue in the beginning, at least they were changing other people. They don't even do that. Okay. FDR, I... I I, I am going to run the risk of allowing my personal dislike to affect my, <laughs> my 
consensus criticism, but nothing happens with them. My daughter, my legacy, my daughter, my legacy. Great. Congratulations. Nothing has happened. Okay. Ricky Starks, they're not using me. Oh no, I'm not being used. Ricky, this was the 457th main event you've had this year. I don't know what you want me to do. You're being used. Congratulations. You're a tag team belt. I really like Big Bill, but he doesn't do a lot of talking. He's just big. Okay, so like we're going to take the programs that are actually interesting and sideline them in favor of a bunch of uninteresting guys. Right. LFI is super awesome. They could be on the level of like Samoa Joe in terms of like just stone cold killers. Like I'd really like to see that. Let's see what happens with them. But like this is where when I talk about the fact that they've they've moved away from this program, it's not because I like the Young Bucks and I don't like FTR. Okay, it's because, again, narrative incoherence. You told me a thing was going to happen and now you're telling me that thing isn't going to happen. And I'm like, why? Like, it's no one's dead. I see people on TV wrestling. No one's hurt. Like, what the fuck is going on? And it's 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 just, again, one of those things where I'm just like, this doesn't have to be this way. Why is this like this? Why is this like this, Trish? <laughs> you need that focus every week. If you don't have that focus every week on these key angles, and, you know, <laughs> there needs to be, yeah. And, you know, this was the Brian Alvarez argument from Friday that stirred yep. everything up. Oh, everybody but got real mad about he's this. he's right. He's right. It's, it's, you know, and people don't want to admit it, but he's right. You know, if that gets 10, 15 minutes every week, and we do in-ring promos, and we do matches, and we do this, or we spread it across both shows, you know. Why wasn't Hangman running out on Collision last night demanding, like, Swerve to do this or do that? Why are we waiting until next week? Why are we not running that angle back? Why are we not promoting this stuff? And they go, we didn't always do that. Well, they used to only have one episode a week. And every single one of these stories used to feature every single week. So you don't have that continuity. You know, even someone like John Moxley, he comes back last Saturday, not a big deal, just appears as a bit part player on, you know, Wednesday, is away. Obviously, he was over here in Europe on the the weekend. So that return, did it mean anything? Not particularly. Yeah, he's going to go into the Orange Cassidy thing. But we didn't maximize that. Nope. So that's haven't had a, haven't, I was thinking about this today. Haven't had a Moxley promo since nope. Before All Out. Yep, no not promo. A sing, not a single fucking Moxley promo since yeah. Before All Out. Why is this um, man not talking? He should be talking every week. Like, I, 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 they're like... <sighs> this is the thing, right? So... If certain things that people enjoyed previously in AEW, they say, oh, you know, there was loads of rubbish, there was this. Yeah, but there were these killer personal promos because people were invested in their own story and the stories took time to develop and they were continuous. So you weren't playing catch up all the time. You weren't having all this pressure on one particular promo. You were able to build it and these promos were getting time. And now the only time they get is MJF. Okay. And this is where... Uh, no, go ahead. Sorry, I'm interrupting. No, so, and the thing with that is, is he is playing a very, you know, I keep saying it, and people call him Hogan, he's much more like Cena, right? So he is Cena's, you know, leader of the brand now. He may be slightly paranoid about his position, but all tough guys are, but yeah, he is more like Cena. But also, you know, he's the way of presenting the promo and the interaction with the crowd and his moveset, it's mu- even, you know, even though he can do far more in the ring, it's much more like John Cena. So you're not going to get, as a babyface, as much those kind of killer personal promos that he was delivering sometimes as a heel. Right. Not going to exist. Um, but we're not getting it for anywhere else. You know, we get Eddie Kingston promos of incredible delivery hidden away on collision, but the content is not always, you know, the content's sometimes all over the place because what he's been asked to do is all over the place. 
Kingston, again, not on TV this week. They did the angle last week where he loses to Jeff Jarrett, and we'll just leave that one be for the Jay Lethal thing. Not on TV this week. Why? Why is there no follow-up? Why are we not doing anything with that? We had six, five hours of television. You didn't have yeah. enough time on Dynamite. That's fine. Why the hell are you not doing it on Rampage or on friggin' Collision yeah. last night? Like, yeah. even a pre-tape. Do something. Like, no. And this is where I do feel a little bit of, like, this is where you'd have some empathy for MJF. Like, uh, somebody needs to take the fucking pressure off the guy, right? Yeah. He cannot be the only person on the show with a storyline, right? Like, freaking figure out what you're pushing and push it and make that decision and stick to it, regardless of who bitches, who's unhappy, who wishes, who doesn't want to fucking lose. Put your goddamn shoulders on the mat and take a three count, okay? Narrative incoherence. Said it enough. (sighs) Yeah, I know this. That's the thing. They have to pick these lines and they need to stick them through and they need to build people up. If you look at the you know key periods in people's history, you know, look at WWF in 1998. They didn't just have Stone Cold Steve Austin. No, they did not. They, they the did Rock. not. They had Triple H. They yeah. had Mick Foley. And they benefited from the fact that you didn't have this stagnation at the top of the roster. You know, no. We talked about it with WWE thing earlier. Their benefit was that they lost Hulk Hogan, they lost Bret Hart, they lost other people, you know, like Slugger, whoever, you know, to WCW. You lose all them people. It's the same way you look at New Japan. So as much as you think it'd be a challenge that they lost... You know, Prince Devitt from Bala. They lost Nakamura and AJ Styles in 2016. That actually allowed people to progress upwards. Yes. It gave them then gaps to do that. And this is where AEW struggles is because they have this huge top-heavy kind of part of their roster around the main event scene. Most of them established in previous decades. You know, Chris Jericho, mainly seen as a 2000s wrestler, 98-2000 wrestler. Then you've got, you know, even a guy like Christian, seen as 90s, 2000s. Then you have, you know, John Moxley, not quite the same, but has been around a long time with AEW. Kenny Omega, long around time along with AEW. MJF has been in that spotlight now for four years. Yep. You know, we're talking about freshness here. Then you've got Adam Copeland coming in and being treated bigger than anybody else on the roster, despite kind of only being really kind of a mid-level draw in the top line in WWE. And Brian Danielson, on every week, gets follow-up every week. Doesn't always react to wins and losses. That, that drives me crazy how people don't react to wins and losses anymore on these shows. But it's that thing of you have this top end that doesn't really move. It's stagnant. So you can move people up, but they have a ceiling. And because that roster is so solid there, it's really hard to move anybody else up. And then, you know, sometimes they don't. They move them up and they don't always get behind them. You know, we've seen the Hangman Page example. Most prominent one. Move him up. You don't get behind him. And then you move him down and you decide he's, you know, this level or that level. Well, you're going to have to start moving people up because this is where you are being bested by WWE. You know, people yes. talk about age. I, I keep reading about age. and It's not the n- age. It's not no. the age. And look, nostalgia is a big thing at the moment. You know, you, you see a concert. So if you look at your, you know, local concert hall or arena, you'll see reunions all over the place. Backstreet Boys, you know, here we have like S Club, I think, in our arena and stuff like that. It's So there is a huge market in nostalgia, and they know it in 1834. But right. you have to balance that. You know, you look at, <laughs> it's kind of funny, the age of every program in wrestling other than NXT has got older in the last four years. So Raw has gone from 33 in 2019 and is now you know creeping back towards 36. 
SmackDown has gone from 35, dropped to 34 in 2020, back up to 35. NXT, NXT is kind of interesting. So it goes from 29 in 2016-2018 and then up to 32 in 2021. And that's really interesting because 32 in 2021, that was the year where they were hot shining everything. Yeah. They were throwing everything at the wall to try and get a W. You know, they did the Keith Lee thing, the title wins. There was something every week. They were bringing people in from the main roster every week. But there was no real story to it. It was just one thing after another, nothing of importance. And if there's one thing that AEW should learn from, it's that period of NXT. Yes. You know, you chucked all these people on there and it didn't work. TNA did the same thing. You know, they did the main event Mafia. They did Sting. They did Hulk Hogan. Mick Foley. Didn't work. They sacrificed AJ Styles. He had to wait until he went to New Japan before he became a star. You know, they sacrificed Samoa Joe, never recovered. Sacrificed James Storm. Uh, and what happens is, you know, and, you know, Dynamite's gone from 32 in 2020 um, to now over 34. So the thing is, is it works twofold. So it indicates, you know, there's periods of where they're bringing in these more experienced guys, they're bringing in these people that are filling time. So you are seeing that. But, there are ways to use nostalgia and that as well. And sometimes, you know, before we talk about nostalgia, the age thing is not relative. So if no. you look at WWE now, they are getting older, but they have fresh people yes. in their main events. Right? Yes. So, and this is where they are besting them. You know, Damien Priest, he's an old guy, late 30s, but never been in a main event scene before. Right. Rhea Ripley, biggest year of her career. You know, ratings mover. That group are hot. They have been presented that way over the years. Dominic Mysterio, same group, right? Yep. Which is insane. Nobody gets it. We don't understand it. <laughs> Fine. We don't have to but understand that, it. We it's don't just have to. happening. So that audience, he connects, right? Yep. You know, Cody Rhodes goes in fresh. The biggest difference in business in these two companies, the biggest turning point is Cody Rhodes going to WWE. Yes. Because it took that stale WWE product from 2019 to 2022 that was struggling and never felt fresh or never had that perception of people wanting to be there, and it changed it overnight. All of a sudden, you know, their live tickets are... And they focus on him, but it was right because he was fresh. And he's not young. You know, he's no. late 30s as well. He's one of the biggest stars in the company now. You know, Sami Zayn was the same thing. He'd been there forever. Yeah. You know, he'd been there a decade. But he was fresh to that main event scene. LA Knight, yes, he's a gimmick. Yes, he's one-dimensional. But you moved him all the way up, and you're moving him, you know, and then once he loses to Roman Reigns, you do what you do with him. But you made that progression. He's fresh in that scene. Jey Uso, use him in that solo role. They're obviously, the crowd are obviously invested into him. Yep. Solo Sokoa, he's come out of nowhere. He's wrestling main events with John Cena. You know? Gunther does his thing. Makes that thing of we have proper wrestling here. It takes another little kind of chink out of the AW armor. Yep. Logan Paul. Huge kind of crossover appeal. Young, athletic. Annoys the hell out of me. But <laughs> he's that thing. And then they combine that with keeping other people strong who are in their prime. Not their past prime, not people that have seen their... And you can bring Cena in, you can do that for a short period, but he's not kind of running that top scene 24-7. He's not having world title matches 24-7 or in your big feuds or having these other guys lose to him that are on the way up. You know... But you have Seth Rollins doing his thing now with that there, and they had to change his character to do that. But that's what you have to do. You made him fresh. Roman right. Reigns had to go heal. You made him fresh. He now has the stories. He's benefited from that. People can argue about Roman all day. You know, Finn Balor goes in that Judgment Day group. He's stronger than he's been in 10 years. Becky Lynch, 
you put her on NXT. Look what that's done for her. And she's had probably the best in-ring year that she's had. So it's this combination. It's not about age. None of these people are young. Most of them. You know, there's a few of that. But most of these people aren't young, but they're fresh to that main event. And it's that stagnation in the main event. You know, people want to talk about WCW, and I hate WCW comparisons. But the biggest thing outside of the creative, outside of Bischoff and Russo and that, was they ended up with a real stagnant main event that they ran, you know, one year, these main events that drew huge amounts for the same people, and then the next year they didn't because people had seen it. And you just can't stay in that place. You, you know, you need to always be developing something different. And that means getting them all the way to the very top. There can't be a ceiling because people have to believe that the time they've invested in pe- people is worth it. That was a rant, wasn't it? There we go. It was good. <laughs> I was enthralled. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, a lot of times what I think people are missing is that it's not a question of, of this old guy is coming in, right? And, you know, there was a lot of discussion and, and Dave on Wednesday after the ratings came out seemed to basically blame Rob Van Dam. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it was so... I, like, look, they should have put Takestra and uh, Fletcher in that spot. That yes, should have I been agree. that spot. There was no point in, you know, you're using him for a live house. You're not using it for... He's not driving TV ratings. No, Come he was it. there to get a pop from the film. Yeah, people. so you, you should have flipped that, Okay. But that is a combination of factors. They ran a yeah. Noah break Q2 that was yeah. in the middle of N- NBA halftime that then the Knicks and Celtics came back in and they ran two ad breaks. Two ad breaks, minimum 17% loss, right. you know, on average. If you do better than that, then you've done well. So blaming it all on him was hilariously stupid. It was <laughs> funny because... But it did get me thinking because one of the things you pointed out was that we went from Rob Van Dam to <laughs> yeah. Sting to Ric Flair yeah. to Christian to Matt and Jeff Hardy to and Jericho. Edge and Jericho. to Jericho yeah, yeah. and Jericho teasing Big Show. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that, you know, especially when it comes to Sting, right? People always mm-hmm. say Sting has been used perfectly in AEW. It's been said since he came in three, four years ago, right? Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? He's never had a singles match. He's been there to make Darby look good. The story has never been about Sting, right? The feuds are Darby's feuds. The stories are Darby's stories. The, the, the story is not about Sting. He's just there to, like, show up and make Darby look good. His experience and his aura are maintained. Like, he comes across as a big fucking deal. But he's also not beating young main event guys in singles matches, right? Like, it's... So that's Christian was in the same similar situation with Jungle Boy, right? Now Christian's a little bit younger. He had singles matches. It was a little bit different, but he spent a year building Jungle Boy up, and then had a feud with him where Jungle Boy finally beat him. Looked fantastic. Like it was good. But now it seems like, and I guess there's no way to do this. Like Sting's gonna have his own story because he's retiring, right? You can't make Sting's retirement about Darby. I mean, you probably could, but I. And this is going to sound so mean-spirited. I don't think this group of people can do that right now. Like, they can't find their butt with two hands on a flashlight. Um, <laughs> the, the wrestling equivalent is they can't promote a Kenny Omega MJF match <laughs> with more than eight days' notice. So I don't trust them at this point to do a make a sting retirement angle about Darby. They should, though! That's what it should be about, right? Like... The Edge Christian storyline should be as much about Nick Wayne and Darby as it is about Edge, and it's not yet. Maybe it will be, but it's not. 
right? Rob Van Dan shows up, teams with Hook, leaves. Eh, I don't really care. Chris Jericho, I think you could argue, is still a big enough main eventer that having his own storylines, he's earned them and they're, he's not at the point yet where he can't have them. So I think we can take that out. But he's um, at the center of the story. It's not to catch well, and Hobbs. No. Yeah, no. but that that's common now. You know, we, we don't tend to have younger guys leading stories. As well. No. No. And he's talking about bringing in Big Show, which I... <laughs> oh, I yeah. No. No. No, don't do it. Right? And people complain so much about the Hardys, but I would argue that the Hardys are not... I always find that kind of complaint to be a bit... Again, it seems sort of like I don't like this guy, but they don't really do... There was a period of time where it looked like the Hardys were going to do something in AEW, and that was terrifying. But basically, since Jeff's arrest, they don't do anything. They are occasionally on Rampage. They seem to be doing what they can for Isaiah Cassidy. They lose every time they're on television, right? Like, I'm not... I am no longer concerned about a Hardys run, I guess would be the best way to describe it. But I also think you can't say that they're using every single person. And I'm also like, Dave seemed this week to be completely and totally convinced that Ziggler is coming in. Um, yeah, probably. I don't, I can kind of get it, right? Like, if you've been a fan of Dolph Ziggler and you were like, geez, they didn't use him really well in mm-hmm. WWE. Like, he had so many opportunities and so many chances and they, they didn't do anything for him and it really sucked and yada, yada, yada. Like, you kind of, like, you want to go back. That's your nostalgia there, right? But, like, I also feel like they're doing this thing and let's let's circle back so I can say it one more time, narrative incoherence, <laughs> where we're no longer building storylines. We're sort of relying on older guys or more exposed guys mm-hmm. for pops, right? Like, to, to, to shortcut our way out of the story, cre- the, cre- the creative part of it, right? Like, what is, like, Alvarez put this perfectly. What has Hook done in the two years since he's shown up? He's literally in the exact same position he was two years ago. And he's still very young, and I don't necessarily think they should rush that stuff. But at the same time, like, how does teaming with Rob Van Dam change Hook or make him different or better? So here's the question, right? So they are using all these guys. None of them move any ratings for them. So that's, the, that's the idea. So you use the nostalgia to boost your ratings ahead of your TV deal. Yep. You know, to use that. But their audience doesn't always respond to that. Maybe short term, nope. but it doesn't. So, here's the thing. You have devalued a lot of your TV ratings draws. You have people yep. like Britt Baker, right? Britt Baker, excellent TV ratings draw for Rain, still can draw a rating now. Doesn't get used in that capacity. Nope. You took her from being a star and you made her into just somebody else. Struggles now sometimes with reactions. Now, we've talked about the elite to death. Easy one. You've devalued all of them guys as TV. But these are people that your audience was invested in. If they do something big, they will watch. So you should prioritize these people that have drawn you ratings during, you know, the past four years. If you want to, you know, drive a bigger rating each week going into your TV negotiations over these bringing people in for cheap nostalgia pops because they only work so often. You know, and you are aging up your program. You know, we, we <laughs> and then hiding everything else away on Rampage, just, it just has that perception of these people aren't important. All that's important are these people that have come out of here. But they're all two decades old. Yeah, I thought it was really jarring. Um, I kept thinking about it as the episode was progressing. And you thought, okay, so, you know, we've done the MJF stuff, which is, you know, we're treating it like the bloodline. It's our full investment. Fine. You do that half an hour, you do the 
Kenny Angle, and then it literally is guy from 2000s, guy from 90s, guy from 2000s, yep. continuously all the way into the main event, arguably, with you know, when you get to Danielson. And Okada is not getting any younger either. Um, so, <laughs> you know, people still see him as fresh in AEW, I think, uh, in a way that maybe don't do if they've been watching New Japan for such a long period. But yeah, you aren't going to progress like that. And I don't think, I do not think that that's the best way that they can generate ratings. I don't think that's the best way they can drive them forward. You need to focus on these guys that can, that you know can drive your money, but you also need to focus on bringing these young guys up. You know, you have something in Swerve. You need to use it. You need yeah. to promote it. You need to yeah. focus on it. You know, you need to put in with Hangman. You need to finish Hangman Page off. Yep. God's sake, you know, it's not that hard. He should, he's easily Brian Danielson. His in his in ring year is actually kind of ridiculous um, in terms of no one paying any attention to it whatsoever. But he is now, okay, it's good, but he's he's now in a position where he is leading a program in terms of he's the senior in the. Yep. Yep. You have to make that a focus point every single week. Same with Darby Allen. Darby Allen, similar type of character. You know, he should not be pushed to the back of this. You know, no. Sting Christian thing. He's not a support player. This is where they used to do that. So the idea was always you match up a Cody and MJF. You know, yes, a you know a Derby with you know you put him with Sting or you put him against Christian. They used to match up. So the idea was always you'd match kind of a veteran up and a younger guy, and it's to bring that person up to your level. But as soon as you start having kind of two veteran guys interact over there. You make that person unimportant and then you ask, and then you're stilting them. So that's right. what you can't fall into the trick of is these guys being important within each other. Copeland should be interacting with somebody who has never wrestled for WWE right now. Yes. And not just yes. like talking to Darby or, you know, talking like, what's he doing? You're talking with Stinger. No, you need to be in something like that. Something that surprises people, something that kind of, is different that takes you away from being that WWE persona because that's all anybody sees right now. And yes, he should absolutely have kept the music, but it's that thing. It's the same with punk with the white shirt and the same music and that. You've just taken this WWE wrestler and put him in AEW. Whereas right. Danielson and Moxley took great care to not be them guys. No. You know, they changed the music up, they changed the look up in ways, they changed the personas straight away when they came in and sometimes people take long time to adjust and obviously i feel sorry for him because he's never wrestled outside that company it's going to take him longer than it would a moxley or daniels it but took it, christian time christian oh. didn't immediately jump into being the guy that we see today he was floating around for a while with not a lot to do yeah and he's done this before you know he went to tna and reinvigorated yes, yes. his career in uh, yes. you know 2005 seven so he's a little bit more kind of thing of that but yeah you have to have that adjustment period sure but you are probably not going to get that unless you are working with this talent. And that would have been far more interesting and probably far more invigorating to this audience than what they're doing currently. So you need to get back to that in terms of that balance. The balance is off. That's what this all is. The balance is off. We're not, we don't have the supporting stories. We don't have the detail. You know, look at the belt angle. We do this belt angle and Max can't go get the belt back. Last year, we did the belt angle with Adam Page and Adam Cole and it lasts a week. Page gets the belt back and then he punishes the baby, uh, punishes the heel for stealing his belt and getting in his face. That's it. Two weeks. That's all it should be. Somebody yeah, send this... them a DVD of that, please. Um, <laughs> drive me crazy. But it's like, it's that simplicity of it. 
of that matchup. And these things that they used to do well, the balance is now off. And the danger is, is as they go more towards this TV deal, we get more of these old guys, especially because you're doing two retirement tours. You know, you're doing the tour with Sting, but you're also doing this Danielson thing in the background. Right. So you can't lose track of. You need to promote these younger guys up because you also need to tell people that are looking at their contracts and they are looking at their, that yours is the best place to be. Well, not just that. You need to tell the audience that it's okay when these two guys leave because these other cool guys will still be hanging around. Like, you don't have to stop watching AEW when Sting's not here anymore or when Brian Danielson doesn't wrestle every week because you have all of these other dudes that make the show really cool and awesome, right? Like, you just got to give people a reason to invest in people. And um, that's the thing they've, we talked about this. This is the thing that they restricted in the last few years. And that started with Hangman at Double Honor thing. Yeah. I think people underestimate the impact of that loss before all this other bullshit. I really do, because you told people that all that investment they made for three and a half years really didn't matter. That's right. how it felt to a lot of people. And we still talk to people every day to say this, that it affected their perception and enjoyment of AEW pretty much like that. You know, so that's that thing. You have got to teach people again that you can trust them and you can invest in these people. And putting a glass ceiling on them or having a a big win and then get no follow-up, it's not going to do that. So, yeah, they've had a lot more focus since All Out. It's kind of weird that since Wrestle Dream, it's kind of back, kind of slipped back a little bit. It's Um, so frustrating because they were doing so well with, like, (laughs) focus. We talked about this. Like, our first week, focus storytelling towards a pay-per-view. Focus storytelling towards a big episode. And now, out the window. Like, done. <laughs> like, narrative incoherence. Uh. Yeah, it's just like your new catchphrase. If mine's count, again, you know, count the outbreaks, that, that's your new outbreak. Narrative incoherence. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's, there's just so much to it. And look, it's difficult. They're producing five hours of TV. I wouldn't wish that on anybody um, a week. But they have got to give people something else to get their teeth into. And they've got to be careful that the roles they are giving to other people aren't just gimmicks. You know, I see people, you know, people talk about the Tony Storm stuff. It's great. People like it. But it is a short-term gimmick. It's not a character. Agreed. It's not a character work. It's a gimmick. Same with this Daniel Garcia thing, right? Another example of somebody that got a big one over Brian Danielson. They didn't go anywhere. And now he does a dance, which is a gimmick. But his character needs to progress. He needs to progress. Yes. You know, it's really difficult when you look at that roster two years ago and you think, who has gotten stronger in this company? And I'm left with like Brian Danielson, MJF, and then maybe Orange Cassidy. And then my list is very like, I don't know, like (laughs) since two years ago, you know, since, you know, summer 2021, if that's what you're thinking of, before they had this onset of bringing everybody in to fill these slots at the top it's very difficult to see anybody else that has progressed. And that's a problem. Um, Well, this is where my, you know, that whole conversation that Dave had about WWE's viewpoint, what you talked about at the beginning mm -hmm. of this episode in terms of WWE thinking they're going to get younger and they're going to cut a bunch of old guys and AEW is going to snap them up and that's going to be the end of it. And part of me is like, well, it's such an obvious plan. There's no way that Tony Khan would fall for it. And then the other part of me is like, there's no way that Tony Khan will fall for it because I'm absolutely convinced that he will fall for it. And next thing you know, it's going to be freaking everybody and their brother from the upper mid card of WWE, you know, taking TV time away from the people that I actually cared watch. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And at this point, I, I hate to say it, I don't have the confidence level that I did in 2021. I no. just don't. I'm not convinced that my faves are going to get airtime. There's not that optimism. I know we discussed this elsewhere this week. There just isn't the optimism. No. And, and there won't be because they had this clear level of progression and this clear momentum of ways that people could just you know, grow and move through. And then that stopped because you had that stagnant mode. So, and you had these people coming in left, right, and center. And they did become over-reliant on that kind of the pop. And then they had the addition of adding Ring of Honor, which adds nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. You've got MJF doing pay-per-views when he should be main eventing and leading pay-per-views with tag belts. Pointless. Absolutely pointless. And working double thing and beating, you know, the guns and Jay in the same night is just, I don't want to start on that one, but that's pointless. It adds nothing to him at all. No. Walking around with that wonky belt. And then it takes him away from doing things with his actual belt where they can draw money. Yeah. Go on. No, no, they can't do another. The the idea that they're doing this again in zero hour, like if he doesn't, if the guns don't beat him and beat him soundly to the point where he's in trouble in that main event and there's your peril, then we have a problem, right? Because realistically, you should have built a a main event around a tag team actually defeating MJF and taking the tag belts from him. Because this, you and I talked about this, the, the match against the righteous from a... As I said, gummy bears I, made me sick. Like, it was good, and I enjoyed it at the time, but afterwards I was like, oh, I wish I didn't have that, right? Like, we're not doing this again. I'm not – the tag, tag division has been devalued enough. Um, with, yeah, we with, only two sets of belts for it that aren't no. doing anything and are just devaluing others. And it's the same with trios, you know? The box and hangman, that's not their place to be running around with them belts. It just makes them look weaker. You know, hangman has to be the guy going out and doing solo stuff now. If you what's want, the point? Like, yeah. what's the point of them having the Ring of Honor's trios titles? Nothing. They're not working Ring of Honor. No. They're not working Saturdays. So, like, they're not doing matches with people. And every once in a while, we get a collision or a di- or excuse me, not a collision. We get a dynamite <laughs> where the, the Young Bucks and the Hangman defend against some random team. Right? It's not any different than what the Acclaimed are doing. Right? No, like, but there's- it's, it's worthless, and all it does, it actually does devalue Paige in a way because you're telling him that's you're telling people that's his level. Right. ROH Trios Champion. His level should be all main events that it replaces Brian Danielson. You know, same guy, kind of connection with the crowd, same yep. ability to wrestle that often and deliver at that level, which people never give him credit for. Um, but you go look at his record and it's so consistent. You know, how many people have their best match with Adam Page? Quite a lot, actually, in that company. Yeah. Including John Moxley. So, who's wrestled everybody. So, yeah, you have to, like, they, them belts have to come off them guys. Like, I get it. You want to raise subscriptions to Ring of Honor because nobody's watching Ring of Honor. I will nobody's be amazed. Watching about no, you know, you're putting it that does... pay-per-view on there and you're putting it on there as part of the subscription to raise them subscriptions and then hoping people don't cancel it. But none of them guys are going to be on it afterwards. There's no reason no. to keep it. But it's not – I don't think – I think it's too much sacrifice for a product that just doesn't need to be there. It. it, it they'd be better served at this point by killing it and <laughs> – like going back to dark and dark elevation. And I know they're not going to because of the way that their media deal is set up with Warner brothers and yada, 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 but they got more value out of dark and dark elevation and the ranking system in terms of narrative coherence (laughs) than they do. (laughs) You like how I did that? You like, I circle back around to that. Look at me podcasting. Um, but, but that's 
what it is. Like it's it it muddies the water. It makes it look like it makes your belts. And I'm. It's taken me a long time to come to this. I fought this for a long time. I was like, <laughs> no, they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. You and I. You know that I've not agreed with this. But it makes your belts look less prestigious because there's 700. Everybody has. As John Moxley said, everybody has a goddamn belt, right? <laughs> everybody who comes out of that tunnel has a fucking belt of some kind, right? Like. Why? Like, just, it, it's not helping you anymore. It, it's its not helping, and I just, I don't know. The thing it's, is, it's not like they're going to give the network any money on this as well. It's not going on Bleacher Report. So in right. terms of generating the network money, it makes no difference. I think the thing with that is, is that, you know, Moxie being able to point that out on television is just, it, it kind of illustrates how much of a mockery it is. The thing is, is that, I keep saying the thing is, um that's awful but when the company started they had some real simple things around their identity they had minimal belts they had different flavors of you know wrestling from around the world whether it be lucha libre you know we're heavily pushed lucha brothers at the start and ratings wise does heavily so uh with you had the dragon gate influence with sima and then previous dragon gate i know it wasn't wrestling them but it's that sort of influence and with bugs and that sort of thing and then you had you know the japanese influence with the way that kenny wrestles with the way that hangman wrestles and the storytelling and that developed then you had your double elements with your jerichos and, and then you kind of young independent elements as well and then even people coming in you know kingston came in late in age didn't make any difference because he was fresh right but, <laughs> right yeah but you had that mixture of styles and that was key to them as well so you had the you know minimal belts so everything was important you had that mixture of styles and then you had this progression that you could see these young guys and you could see them develop and you knew they were going to get somewhere and you believed that the stories would always have focus and would always make sense yes and now you know tony khan can't answer that identity question for level money he goes, no. I have a great roster. Well, you don't use them. You know, you've got Adam Page wrestling 20 matches a year. Like, what are you doing? Um, like, <laughs> it's great saying I've got a great roster. But you have to maximize their value and you have to use them. I think, you know, hopefully this is where I want a conversation about what's going on with AEW right now to come from. Not like MJF is Hogan. No. Like, it's all WWE. Like, these are these are shortcut garbage criticisms that I'm like, no, it, it, it's, you know, or Rob Van Dam lost them 200,000 viewers. Like, <laughs> I'm like, every time I read these rating summaries, even like Dave or something like that, I want to bash my head against the wall. I'm like, just please read the data. But the thing is, it's like, you know, we have this discussion and there might be people that go, oh, you're, you're doom mongering and everything. No! And that's not what we're doing. We're discussing the things that frustrate us and lead to that kind of disconnect. Because yes. we want to be invested in something. I am killing for having to have my teeth into something. Yeah, you know, to bind into oh. something. Killing for it. That's all I want. I don't care about much else. It doesn't have to be with Max. I'm not into Max. But if there was something else for me to get my teeth into, Max wouldn't be so much of an issue. No, you wouldn't be as frustrated because you'd have something else going no, on. I wouldn't be noticing kangaroo kicks in blood matches or things like that. I just wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't care so much. I just roll my eyes and move on like we used to. Right. You know, right. when Jericho right. was doing something weird or um, right. Cody was doing his weird promos. Or- these things have always existed in AEW. They have yes. always had moments where they have not landed or it has not worked or it's yes. been a little cringe, as the kids like to say. <laughs> like, this like this is where I think, and Aaron Rotkowski put this together beautifully because somebody was like the golden age of AEW. And he, he showed all these match cards that were just like, Naya. <laughs> dire match cards and he's a hundred percent correct and this is where that overblown criticism of it used to be the 
this amazing sports-based presentation. Well, you know, Brandon Cutler was out there with a dragon costume on and like on dynamite. So I'm not sure about the sports-based presentation. Like, I think this is just a dream you had. Like, that's the part where I'm just kind of like, no one expects this show to be perfect top to bottom every week, right? But there was more hits than misses and more narrative coherence. (laughs) Yeah, the important things may, you know, the important things were important. Everything right. made sense, and they had you. The things at the top had you invested. Yes, you, know, you can have anything on the undercard. You can have, you know, look at <laughs> WWE in nineteen ninety eight or whatever, or WCW ninety seven. You know, and, oh, to be fair, WCW ninety seven had all the cruiserweights, and that was great. But you can have whatever you want on the undercard. It doesn't really matter what what draws and what keeps people interested are the stories that are developed at the top. Right. And the emotional relationships between the characters. Okay. Like that's the stuff that I think they just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. You want the characters to respond to each other. You want them to interact with each other. You also want them to respond to their wins and losses. You know, I want to see them develop. This is where we've started this year, you know, and there's very little character develops. How many characters are developing? We spoke about it earlier, like three or four. Everyone else is just, this is my one dimensional character. This is what I do. I go around wrestle. I want you know, we, that's that is what people remember about 2020. They don't remember the rubbish matches. They don't remember stuff in the warehouse. They remember, oh, do you remember that John Moxley, Chris Jericho thing? Do you remember that build up when Adam Page got hugely over as a character yep. into the stuff at Revolution? Do you remember when MJF turned on Cody Rhodes and then Cody tried to get back and got lashed and the pain? They don't remember this other stuff because there's no reason to, because the things that you were invested in are what you remember. Right. So you, have, paid, you just got to get people invested. Yeah. And they paid off. Yes. They paid off. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it's very simple, Trish. I mean, come on. Come on. No, but um, it's, yeah, I, I don't want it to people think, oh, you know, we're just talking everything down. No. No. These are the factors and these are the things and we've talked about some good things as well we've talked about yes. some progression we've talked about things that are kind of on the cusp they just need that one little promo or need that so but and it'll be interesting as well you know brian danielson is out and you know people say he is legitimately out then you are gonna have to put things on collision what are you putting on collision to save that number even though the next three weeks are going up against wwe competition via pay-per-view or via the friday night against smackdown Oh, God. Yeah. That Friday Night Smackdown. Friday Night Collision's coming up. We've been dreading it for weeks. Oh, I God. ain't doing nine minutes and minutes on that one. <laughs> no, no. But uh, Let's no. just go vibes only on that Let's, one. Yeah, vibes, sure. Vibes, no data, vibes only. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But you have that opportunity there to put somebody else in that spot to lead that. Or are you just going to put it on the shoulders of Christine and Copeland? You know? Yeah. What are you going to do with that? So these are the decisions going forward. There's opportunities there. And this is what we're looking at. So you've got these older guys. Are you going to bring other guys in to replace them as they go, or Daniel Sinoesting, or are you going to elevate these other guys upwards? And that goes all the way to your world title program. It does worry me how kind of people think, you know, look at Swerve, right? Swerve is in his first kind of... And all right, they, they've played around with the level of the program, but his first kind of focus, true focus program, he makes note yes. of the fact that he'd spoke in a promo for the first time for six minutes. Yes. And everybody wants to raise him to the top, but it's more beneficial of him to have this kind of level of focus program every yes. single week with people at a high level than it is to throw him straight up at MJF. And there's other things that would 
bar that and I just don't see it happening. I'll put money on it and not have thing, to be honest. But it's much more beneficial for him to do that and have that progression the same way that Hangman did, the same way that MJF did, than it is to rush him up and put him in that pressure position on a TV contract year to then have that everything on his back when you've the never best, cut promos longer than six minutes. The best thing that happened to Swerve was the stuff with Trench and whatever not working out, <laughs> right? Because he had to go back to the drawing board. He yep. had to say, what worked about this and what didn't work about this? What am I keeping and what am I changing, yep. right? He's, you know, obviously, I've said this before, he cares very much about his presentation. He mm-hmm. cares very much about his character. He does a phenomenal job with that. I would way rather give those guys time to think and grow, like rather than you said, throw them in the main event scene and, and, and feed them to somebody. And right. there's pressure like, on that because everybody wants that. They want people elevated straight away because they are looking right. for freshness. But if you give them prominent positions and prominent roles, then people won't notice it as much. Right. And he is so close. Like, yeah. so close. Like, it's uh, he's somebody that I am so excited about. I am so excited about him in AEW. I am I'm just, like, he's somebody that I look forward to seeing every week. And so when I don't see him every week, I get wicked annoyed about it. But that's a topic we discussed today at length. So I think this is kind of, we've covered a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. We've ranted a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully less aggressively than last week, but. No, and it's it's been more of a kind of um, a mindset discussion, a philosophical discussion than it probably has been as much numbers-based this week. Which makes change, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so we definitely covered a lot of ground. I think that's uh, that's a wrap on today. I so, think that's a good place to stop. It is. So, so this has been the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. You can email us at trishandsarahpod at gmail.com. Have I got that right for a change? I never get You that. have. I have. Wonderful. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I refuse to call it text. At Trish and Sarah. At Trish and Sarah. You can, you know, put a review on our board, Fred, on the Wrestling Observer board. And anything else, you can, ah, you know where to find us by now. We also have a YouTube channel. You can look us up, Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast on YouTube. We'll be adding this episode with full subtitles for anyone that finds things easier at some point this week. Our producer is the wonderful Leah from Tunnel Talk. Listen to them every Sunday morning. And for now, we will see you in two weeks' time, just before full gear. So that's going to be uh, an interesting point to start. I have been Trish. I have been Sarah. And we will see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening.